what the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example. It's you who are changed, yeah, and of yeah. course this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had, um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal, in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, August 25th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. I'm realizing right in the moment that I made a mistake that I have to correct before I continue, but while I can do that, I can tell you what's going on today in regard to the fact that this is something that if you didn't see yesterday's show is a follow-up to yesterday's show it was technically supposed to be part two of uh, of yesterday's show, and it's, and I my my lovely l- new little puppy wasn't going to allow that yesterday, so I had to shift this to today. So you still will see in the title essentially eight twenty four part two. This is being recorded on August twenty fifth, but all the information and all the work was done and was supposed to be on the twenty fourth. I just wanted to include that. <clears throat> what what I just to give you a quick background, I believe I forgot to add the rumble information yes i did so if you're looking on rumble right now it's not going to be live just yet so let me fix that real quick i hope that rectifies if i add it after the fact we're going to find out right now let's see let me know if we are live on rumble i just saved the information oh and we're off and running okay so i have a gigantic grouping of information today to go over and it was going to be specifically focused on the food energy engineered crises the great reset direction the digital id you know all this stuff and how it's all driving in the same direction and what what it all relates to but of course you know me and i can't wake up today and not look at what's going on and not include some things that i happen to see my normal routine makes that impossible for me not to include so somebody out there watching is going to be laughing at me because i did definitely include a few things to start off today it's going to be COVID 19 related but it all of course leads right into where this all goes but i couldn't fail to include some of these things we're going to talk about right out of the gate here now in general today all of this is oh and also of course the climate change agenda around the push in to the great reset direction using un agenda 2030 and it's all the same conversation so all of that is driving in this direction. Now we're going to start off with a couple of quick points around the COVID-19 booster and where that's going and how ridiculous it is that they're playing this game with 
acting like this is the new thing and we made this because it needs to be better, but yet forcing people to take the first thing before they can have the next thing if they haven't done that yet. It's just wildly, it, it speaks to exactly what I was saying in the beginning, that it very clearly seems that whatever else is happening, there's at least one very clear agenda. Get that first thing in everybody's arms. Why they would fo- focus back on that now is very alarming to me. But I'm going to start with that to show you how the vaccination efforts and the COVID-19 agenda is leading you right in to what's happening. The most obvious of which is that we'll start with the climate change discussion is that weirdly enough, every problem anywhere today seems to have the same solution. Masks, lockdown, vaccines, it's all the same push. Even climate change is very, very revealing. But we're going to get into all that today. So make sure you stay tuned to the end because specifically around the Great Reset. There's a lot of great information that uh, some many accounts that I've been focusing lately on in that regard, people like Bernie's tweets, Wittgenstein, and these different accounts that are just really knocking these out of the park with great little clips and videos. We're going to go through a lot of that today to show you on the surface what they're saying. That opening clip I've had for a long time is one of those. The compilation of Klaus Schwab from before COVID-19, during COVID-19, and uh, or right as it began and then during it, showing you that he knew from the very beginning that somehow we weren't ever going back to what they said. All promised we would go back to the normal, that right in the beginning he said, nope, not happening, we're going forward no matter what. And weirdly enough, everybody lockstep right behind him, even though they told you otherwise. So let's start with the next generation booster jab clip here. And what's interesting about this is we were just talking about this, that what he's going to tell you here, not just this is the next one, but that they're le- this is a stepping stone to the universal injection, which is not a conspiracy theory. It's the open conversation, as Fauci and plenty of others have used that as the holy grail for whatever the current thing is, the flu universal vaccine. Now it's the COVID universal vaccine. It's going to be whatever they want it to be, eventually a universal vaccine for anything. Just come take your shot this week and you're good for anything except those few percent that get super sick. And it turns out that's most people, but they just call it a rare thing. Super rare, super rare, but get it, right? (laughs) Very familiar, isn't it? That's just my hypothetical direction I see it going because the point is, is even if they believed it was going to help most people and it ended up not, they wouldn't just tell you that. They would hide it and cover it up and try to justify it and push it on somebody else. It's Trump's fault or whatever else. We all see that happening on all sides of government. That's how government operates. They all are lying to you for their agendas. You know, how do you know a politician's lying? Their lips are moving. <laughs> we all joke about these things. We all know inherently that's what the reality is. But we like to defend our side if you're stuck in that illusion. But listen to what he says here. Universal being the direction. Six million people. Used to oh, camp. Sorry about that. I accidentally hit that. Let's continue. But there will only probably be about 13 million dose people who will be eligible for the autumn booster campaign. But there will only probably be about 13 million doses of the new Moderna vaccine, the bivalent vaccine available. Um, between- Again, you know how many times they played this card and every and I mean, literally every single time they've argued that supplies were limited. It later turned out that was not even remotely true. And then you find out, especially in the UK, that they literally wrote down on their documentation that we would lie about that. So we would push vaccine uptake because, you know, it's right for them. We've decided the right thing. So we're going to lie for our truth. Yeah, that happens everywhere. But realize how many times they've been caught lying about, oh, you know, get in line now before supplies run out. Like like you're watching some Toys R Us commercial. It's ridiculous. But then, of course, we see them throwing away 30 million doses and throwing, you know, obviously they've made more sense then. But it was proven that they did not have a low supply. It was just simply using that to drive you in. Like if you were on the fence, maybe I should go now just in case it runs out. They're doing it all over again. They're starting back in square one. Now and, Chris- and I should be clear. 
Maybe that's true because I'm honest enough to say that I don't know for sure, but we need to know what we do know for sure is that they were caught lying about this many times before we got here. So why would you trust them now? So uh, what the Joint Committee of Vaccination and Immunisation is proposing is that the over 50s and other age groups um, will get the Moderna uh, vaccine and uh, people under 18 will continue to get the Pfizer vaccine. Now, both give really good protection and have saved lives. <laughs> I love these broad, intangible points. They're, they're effective and they do things. <laughs> get these things, they do stuff. It's like, okay. What stuff and how good does it work? Give me something I can actually bite into. Well, no, no, no. It works. It's safe and effective and benefits over the risk. Well, to what degree? What's the percentage? Is it relative risk reduction or is it absolute risk? Like they don't care. They're aiming this as always at the lowest common denominator and acting like the people responding to that are everybody. We all see through this today because these points have become household discussions, guys, because of your work, because of independent media. It's not the reality of just saying they do. It's effective and they have an effect on something that could be one percent. That could be point oh one percent. It's an effect. It has an effect. It does something like saying it has a clinical response. Is it the right response? Why don't I mean if there was any genuine journalist in front of these people, that's the question that would come next. But it doesn't. I I, I just saw a great clip from I think it was uh, Russell Bla- Russell Russell Brand making fun of a recent clip on, I think it was CNBC, I forget, or maybe MSNBC, pointing out where they were just doing basically a, pro, a promo for the vaccine. Coming on, like, you know, ba- ba- no real questions. When can we get it? Is it going to be ready by this time? How you get your hair looking so nice? You know, and this is the questions you're aiming at the CEO of Pfizer. It's just pathetic. And these are supposed to be journalists today. But we all know that illusion has been broken. The Moderna has marginally better immune response against both of the uh, of the current um, variants that we're seeing, the original strain of COVID and the um, and the mutated Omicron uh, variety. Now, what's interesting here, I'm going to show you on both sides, which I've already made this point, that their documentation is very clear that they aimed this at the original Wuhan strain and BA5. That's what they claimed. I made this clear in the first time I discussed the earliest information that came out around the new thing. Yet what they're arguing now is that it has an effect on BA4.2, though. It does have an effect. It doesn't really get into how much and what, like my point from before. But what you're seeing, though, is the corporate media acting like they designed them to be targeted to all of them. That's just not true. And I'll make that clear today. But you'll, this is how they play it fast and loose with these things, because whatever makes you take it is good, even if lies happen. You know, a little bit fudging the lines, but as long as you take it, we're all good because that's the right thing to do. Like, this is the people that are being swayed by this and don't realize they're being played in the corporate media, which is most of them, they walk right into it because the smart people listen to the CDC, right? That's what they've convinced themselves of. Research is doing what we're told. So it's good news. Uh, the first time we've got a bivalent vaccine, it's effective against both strains. I mean, right there, guys. You know what bivalent means? <laughs> Two. It's not meant to be multi... I mean, it, they're claiming it has an effect. That's all. I'll leave that point alone now because I keep stopping it. And I suppose the holy grail is that we eventually get a, a universal vaccine which, which combats all strains of COVID. I mean, that would be the holy grail. Very difficult to do that. It took us years and years to get vaccines that um, fight against all uh, types of meningitis. And we'll probably have the same sort of fight to, to challenge to to find a, a universal vaccine. But to have a bivalent vaccine is a really good step forward. As the the chief executive of the MHRA has said, it's a sharpened tool in the armory of protection. Mm-hmm. Another meaningless talking you know, trope, you know, it's a sharpened tool in our adversarial effect against the COVID. What does that mean? 
That's just a words. It doesn't mean anything. The MHRA has been caught lying to you about all sorts of things. Like the ridiculous nature of just, this is another advertisement, right? The bottom line is we want to know what this is, what it does, how effective it is. And even then we know that they've lied to us about those things before. So why would you take them at face value? I want to see documentation. And then even then we know they've lied about and altered the documentation. Like it's, it's, it's become so ridiculous today that you're in your, your, your immediate stance should be, you're probably lying, so let's wait until we can see other experts independent of these groups pick apart, you know, dive through this. And even then, question everything. I mean, this is the reality of the world today. That makes people stressed out, and I get that. I don't want to live in a world like that. Well, too bad. That's the world you're in. And we've allowed this to become the reality by allowing people to centralize power at the top. But the problem is that we know these things are not trustworthy. But again, the main point to start with is the universal injection, which has always been the point. So it's just it's like they're acting like they're this is just an organic uh, evolution of their process. And this is what they've aimed at from the very beginning. That's why this seems so rushed and ridiculous. Why we're skipping over the idea that we needed three or four boosters to go. No, no, just get the two and you're good. The boosters now don't mean anything. That's what they're actually saying. Whether you had well, you know just two or the bo- three boosters, four boosters, just get the next bivalent and you're good. But if you don't have any of those, you have to get the first one to be able to get the bivalent. It doesn't make any sense, not scientifically, not logically. Because what they're telling you that aims at the Wuhan strain and the reason they need to make the new one, because that's not currently there, is the only thing that aims at. So you're going to go out and take an injection that gives you antibodies, they claim, a clinical response. is something that's their words, not currently in circulation. Why does that make sense? Just so you can then step in line to get the next thing? Why wouldn't you just take the bivalent injection? And please hear me that I am not recommending any of that for anybody. You should run screaming from all of this as far as I'm concerned. Well, here's Jordan Satchtel with a great document, a great uh, article. The CDC is now saying, as I was just relaying, in order to be eligible for upcoming Omicron booster, which don't forget, they're still calling it a booster. They don't want the average people that aren't paying attention to think this is something new. They want you to just step in line to get the next thing you're told to get. Oh, is it booster time? Okay, I'm ready. It's not a booster. This is a new injection, guys. This is completely different. I mean, there's a, there, the idea that these things are just another step in the same direction of the, what they've been giving people is a complete fabrication. They've changed what's in this. They've added different spike proteins. This is going to complicate things. And according to Gert Vandenbosch, former Bill and Melinda Gates expert. This is going to be, this will create the real pandemic. This is going to create these people and their problems, or it's going to cause these people's problems to explode more so than they already are. The people that are already struggling because the injections are going to take this new thing and it's going to wildly exacerbate the problems they've already created because of the injections. That's not my opinion. That is a highly regarded expert telling you that who's already been right about a lot of things so far. But he says that you have to be you have to get the first thing to be eligible for the Omicron shot designed for expired Omicron variant. Exactly. Right. The idea that this is not like suddenly it's going to be okay in September, even though what we've seen so far is an evolution of this, what they're telling you anyway, so rapidly that by the time they make the new shot or they argue the next thing that we've already gotten three variants down the line. uh, Here, here, you know what I would be willing to bet you that they're cataloging all of these Samients, as Dr. Yeadon calls them, because they're inconsequentially different. They're not th- different enough to make a problem, but they want you to think they do. But they're cataloging them still. But they're not telling you about them anymore because they want you to focus on the one they want you to take. 
trust me, you could look it up. There's all sorts of other variants they're arguing are this or that or could be just like Omicron. Anybody being honest about this wouldn't have made Omicron into what they made it into. You'd have been like, good, it's less dangerous. Let's not worry about it anymore. But that's not what they did. They turned it on its ear. They said, it's the worst thing in the world, even though it's clearly not more dangerous. Hospitalizations, deaths, and everything going down, and on and on and on. But we're going to focus on it all the way back then, right up until September. That's just such an obvious deception. But it says you must first take have taken primary series. So that means you have to go in and take one shot, wait two weeks, take another shot, wait two weeks, and then go in and get the bivalent if you've got nothing so far. Why would anybody do that? Especially those that have thus far waited for any of them. I mean, that logically, that means people that have waited so far are, are going, screw that. I'm not taking any of these things. And then maybe they get manipulated and taking the bivalent. But to do that, they have to step back through the whole process. It's not currently there. I mean, this is just straight up ridiculous, guys. It says not that unvax would take the new stick, snake oil anyway, which I completely agree with. And here's this article. It says uh, no gene juice for you. CDC says unvaxxed won't be eligible for updated Omicron boosters. It says not that any mRNA holdouts are thinking about getting the shots at this point in the pandemic game, but it's fantastic to observe the CDC's half-baked attempt to deploy expired shots, because that's what they are, into the arms of the general public. Don't, don't forget, multiple times they've just arbitrarily moved the expiration date because... Like, that makes sense, right? So didn't you decide that was the right date because you were worried safety and all, and then just move the date because you wanted to use them? So either you were wrong the first time or you don't care the second time. Either way, that's alarming. Acting as the de facto public marketing arm for a big pharma mRNA liquidation sales drive. Don't forget, we just talked about, oh, it does mention it in here. Just talked about the CEO of Moderna saying we need to increase demand. Well, so you're, you're calling on people to arbitrarily increase demand, even though literally everybody knows they're available. So that's not organic. Then you're talking about manipulating people to sell vaccine. Exactly. That's what always happens. And even the WHO called out the CDC and the NIH for doing exactly that. So according to the CDC, only those. And by the way, that was before COVID-19. Only those who have previously taken COVID shots are going to be eligible for the upcoming highly touted Omicron mRNA booster which is being rolled out by both Pfizer and Moderna, both of which are going to be seeking emergency use authorization, despite the fact that there's currently two, both of which have an approved ejection on paper, not being circulated, and there are viable alternatives, both of which, legally speaking, makes it impossible to ask for or give emergency use authorization, let alone maintain a declaration of emergency. All of those have been legally off the table since they approved these things, but who cares though, right? Because we're just going to jump to the next problem and pretend like you guys don't know that. So basically, if you are the one person in the world who isn't mRNA compliant, but has decided after two years to get an mRNA Omicron shot, you're not eligible to do so. If you want the latest protection, they call it, from COVID-19, you need to take the shots designed for the Wuhan strain, which isn't exist hasn't existed in multiple years. For the mRNA true believers, the Omicron shot marks either shot four or five on their perpetual injection schedule. Yes, the loyalty card meme is actually becoming a reality. I mean, guys, this this... The idea that there would be more than two shots was conspiracy theory until it wasn't. The idea that there would be three shots, all of these were fake news until it wasn't. We're on shot five, now going on a brand new injection, exactly like we were worried would happen. The news comes on the heels of the CEO of Moderna claiming he's in the process of throwing away 30 million shots because they have a big demand problem, meaning you guys don't want it anymore. So let's make a new one and push that next. I mean, how in the world do you think this makes sense? Moderna and Pfizer designed these Omicron boosters for variants that no longer exist. 
They have since claimed to update the boosters for the current domain dominant strain. Of course, the strain will likely expire within a few months as well. That's the same thing I'm pointing out. Now, I'm not even saying that's the truth of it, that their, their narrative thus far has made that clear. According to the White House, the newest boosters will become available in mid-September. So about a little less than a month from now. I mean, do you know how fast it went from Delta to Omicron and everything else right out of the gate? Oh, of course, don't forget that the explosion of variants perfectly correlate with the administration of the injections. During the time when there were no injections in 2020, but COVID was allegedly rampant, weird how there weren't any other variants. Isn't that strange? It's not really strange if you have two brain cells to rub together. For those who decided to partake in the continuing population-wide mRNA experiment, may the odds be ever in your favor. You know, a little nod to the Hunger Games because that's what it seems like. But pushing this on people who... I've already pushed back on the boosters is one thing, but then arguing you have to get this to be able to get the next one or the, to get the first ones to be able to get the next ones is just illogical and unscientific and dangerous. But what I think this is leading to is the reinitiation of the mandate for this thing, which then demands that you have to get the first ones anyway, just, I guess, to push vaccine sales. But I still think more something weird about it what's in that first thing and why are you so desperate to get that in someone's arm even though by all scientific standards there's no reason to take that especially since if you just need this one thing to have the effectiveness against what they're telling you what's in the world today why would you go through other administrations of more shots which have potentially rare side effects they say rare we know they're not but that's their point so you're increasing your risk with every shot and it's okay to do that even though you really would need the one based on what they're telling you there is no way, if pressed in front of a pe- grouping of people objectively, that they can explain this. They just don't get pushed back on because the corporate media doesn't care. Now, here's the CD, uh, CNBC article telling you that. And we're just always pointing out every corporate media article is doing this now. Published on the 20th and weirdly updated on the 23rd. With what? Who knows? Who cares? They've changed the whole thing, probably. That's not journalism, guys. You don't, if you change something, you are obligated to write what it was. Or specifically, like if there's like a typo, that's one thing. But if you're changing context or paragraphs entirely, they know that. They don't care. So those journalists acknowledging openly that they don't care about journalism anymore. But it says newly updated COVID booster shots designed to target Omicron's BA5 subvariant. Right there. Did you see there's a BA4? Should be available within the next three weeks. That begs an important question. Who's going to be eligible? The short answer anyone age 12 and up who has completed a primary vaccination series, according to the CDC. It's unlikely to matter whether you've received any other booster doses or not before. Can you let that sink in for all those people that have got two boosters? They're going, yeah, it doesn't matter. Two, all, we, all you need is those first two and then we can move to the next one. So you were fooled. You were putting yourself at risk. You're increasing your risk of myocarditis and blood strokes, blood strokes, blood, stro- uh, blood clots, strokes. There you go. Get that through. Bell's palsy. Vaccine-induced thrombosis, thrombocytopenia, or, you know, the other 30,000 problems, being facetious, however many they've come out with, hundreds, in this gigantic pile that they call rare, but of course, when they're combined, they're no longer rare, even if they were, but they're not rare. Just so you can get to the next thing? Or in this case, you took two because they said so, even though it was clear it wasn't working and it was actually hurting your immune system? This is criminal. This is them admitting the boosters were inconsequential. It was just to get those boosters in people's arms to keep them on the same schedule. But it doesn't matter now. It says if, but if you're unvaccinated with none of those things, you won't be eligible for the updated formula until you complete the primary series. But then again, Pfizer's bivalent shot, which targets both the original COVID strain, which is no longer there if it ever was, and BA5. 
So why then are all is all the corporate media stressing that this is about both? Isn't that a good question? Shouldn't we care about accuracy as they scream about fake news and misinformation? You'd think so, wouldn't you? I had that right here, I think, actually. Or maybe not. Anyway, I was going to play that clip from yesterday where they talk about that. Oh, it doesn't look like I thought. I thought I grabbed it. I guess not. But in any case, they were just talking about this and saying that it was both. On the CBS, I think we were were showing. And that's misinformation. But of course, that doesn't matter because you're allowed to lie in the direction of the agenda. Well, here is what they're covering up and what they're creating by forcing these shots on all these people. The number of heart attack deaths, according to Dr. Feruzzi, were around 5,000 for 2019 and 2020. According to the BMC data, in just the first six months of 2021, they were over 17,000. Now, that's not, we can't explain this. We're baffled by the unexplainable illness. That's heart attack, okay? So, first of all, they're going to try to go, it's the COVID-19. Well, if it was COVID-19, it would have been happening in 2020. On top of that, if it was COVID-19... There's a lot of different things that would be included in this in, in regard, basically that you can, you would have some kind, th- most of these people, and here's the quick breakdown, are people that are not, there's, it's a, that's the way, the best way to say this. The breakdown of all the data I've seen around heart attacks specifically in the United States specifically is pretty cut and mixed up, mixed uh, bag in regard to whether they ever had COVID or thought they did or didn't. You would see a slant for people that had COVID. But in this case, you're finding all, and there's been articles about this in the UK and United States where these people predominantly in the hospital with heart attacks and, and, and uh, strokes and everything else are people that don't have, have never had COVID. That's why they're unexplainable excess death. And they say these people never had COVID. What is explaining that? You can't just keep pretending like you don't notice the thing you've admitted also causes heart attacks. That is an obvious correlation. But the bottom line is the biggest point, in my opinion, is you had 2020 where they're arguing it was rampant with nothing to stop it. And the increase is in 2021 and 2022. Just the first six months of 2021. Also, the idea that this heart, the heart attacks would spike like this for people that weren't going... Well, we, the idea that you d- go to the hospital, you wouldn't go to the hospital in a heart attack situation would mean that would cause the problem then, in my opinion. Maybe the well visits would add to that. It's a fair point. But it says doctors still want us to believe this is due to lifestyle issues. What about the jab introduced in early 2021? My point has always simply been that why won't they even ask that question? Nobody wants to even acknowledge that it could be playing a role at the very least, even though they admit it can do that. I mean, that is just baffling. That's the baffling part of it. Yes, it can cause heart attacks. Do you think it included in this heart attack case? No, that's fake news. Well, you just said it can cause heart attacks. Well, yeah, it can. So you won't consider whether it caused this heart attack? No, it's fake news. Okay, <laughs> well, that's confusing. I think it's, it must be confusing for them. But the point is, it's everywhere. De- and this isn't even talking about COVID-19 or, or rather the vaccine. But it says deaths in uh, up to 30 to 59-year-olds or deaths are up in 30 to 59-year-olds with heart issues a factor. This is August 22nd. So anywhere you look right now, you're seeing a dramatic increase in heart problems, heart attacks, strokes, all of this stuff. And they go, oh, probably climate change or whatever they want to blame it on without any connection other than a guess. Except we do have a thing we know affects the heart, myocarditis, blood clots, strokes, all the different things. And they just don't want to talk about it. This says for the last 
uh, 10 to 11 weeks whilst the NH- NHS is having an a- emergent base A&E crisis like heart attacks, ambulance visits. We are seeing more deaths than we would expect. And this is predominantly in people aged 30 to 59. That's what we were just talking about. Linked to heart problems, strokes, diabetes. Amy, I've been seeing on Twitter and elsewhere that you've been crunching the numbers on this. Can we actually draw any conclusions or are those blaming lockdown getting a little bit ahead of themselves? Yeah, good afternoon, Emily. I think um, when we talk about is the lockdowns killing more than COVID itself, I think what people are considering there is kind of the more recent weeks that we've been seeing across the country. We're not talking about since the start of the pandemic. We've had huge numbers of COVID deaths in that first wave of COVID and then at the back end of kind of 2020 going into 2021. Um, and what we're seeing, I've been looking at the numbers and I've been tweeting about them for, for several months myself, is that what you can do when you get excess deaths, you compare the number of deaths you see in the country now to what we were seeing pre-pandemic. And actually, uh, I've been looking at it over the last 24 hours. And, and what we actually have got is that we've got an aging population across the, the UK as well. So we've got more older people than what we had pre-pandemic as well. So what that means is that because you've got more older people, if the death rates were exactly the same, you would expect more deaths. And, and I reckon we probably should be expecting at least about 880 more deaths than what you would have had before the pandemic, just because we've got a lot more older people in particular. A large cohort were born after the Second World War, and they're now hitting the ages of like 76, 77. So, so it's not surprising we've got more deaths now. What you can do also do there, though, Emily, is look at what deaths you would expect to see by looking at the death rates. And it's quite clear that at the moment, for the last uh, 10, 11 weeks, whilst the NHS has had an A&E crisis, we've had ambulances stuck outside of hospital, we are seeing more deaths than we would expect. And this is predominantly in people aged 30 to 59. And, and we can look at some of the group most at risk from myocarditis, heart problems, everything else. Do you see a mention of the vaccine anywhere? This is on GBN for crying out loud. There's not, a, not even a mention, not even a suggestive, well, that's included too. Nothing. Well, you know, the war and, and the, you know, the, the lockdown. I mean, come on, really? Like, I'm not a suggesting those things don't play a role, but we can't keep playing this game. This is even an outlet that's usually pretty open about this stuff. The re, we're, that, this is soft peddling the reality. We all know if we're even barely intelligent that the injections they've admitted can cause the thing you're pointing at and saying we have a problem here heart attacks, strokes. So if we know those things can be caused by the vaccine, how is the vaccine not even mentioned? It's criminal. It really is blowing my mind that even people that are fighting against this to some degree kind of waffle about this. Now, here's an example of a nurse who lost her job after 19 years for not getting the booster, the booster, after she was hospitalized with myocarditis from her second dose. This is my point. And she still gets shouted down as a conspiracy theorist, despite it being clinically proven. So she gets myocarditis from the second dose, and then they fire her for not getting the third dose. I mean, this is scientific. This is about health. It's not like me to jump on here and do lives or speak live. It's not something I normally do. But I wanted to jump on here to tell people to please wake up. Life is normal for so many of you. It's gone back to normal. But for me, I've just seen the last patient that I'm going to see in the foreseeable future. The government have made sure of this. There are so many of us that are being unjustly treated. I, after today, am fired. I can't work as a nurse anymore. I've spent 19 years of my life caring for your family. 
for your children, for your aunties, for your uncles, for your loved ones, and I'm being thrown in the gutter like a piece of dirt. I had my last ditch effort at getting an exemption three weeks ago. I had to go and have an echocardiogram, a scan of my heart, and because my heart is not permanently damaged, I'm losing my job. And see, this is the part that is the most infuriating for, for you know, the analysts that we know that they know that previous to COVID-19, any myocarditis risk was considered lethal, potentially. And that's because you can look at any number of studies. There's different variations on the percentage they come to. But in every case, NIH studies, two of them, by the way, find that there's a pretty high increased risk of mortality over the next 10 years. The one that I cite is about, I think, it's 26 to, or it's uh, 25 to 56% increase in mortality between the next three to 10 years. And that's in a mild case, non-filament is what they call it. So a non-serious case in the context of the immediate risk. And what they're saying is that that has the potential and can increase your mortality or rather will between 25 and 56% over the next 10 years. That's not a guarantee you're going to die, but that's a dramatic increase in mortality risk according to the NIH. And yet here they are acting like, well, it's, you're not dead right now, so you're good. It's not an immediately showing problem, so you're good. But that's currently still there. She currently still has a heart problem that will probably, you know, the one we just discussed the other day was the examples of pre-COVID discussion of these kind of myocarditis or heart-related problems due to vaccines. And this is pre-COVID. And the problem was that this person wakes up two years later and has a heart attack. And back then they were willing to acknowledge that could be the vaccine. And that in some cases was proven to be. But now, if it doesn't happen in 15 seconds, 15 minutes, well, then it's nothing. And you're a conspiracy theorist. Is it scientific to just pretend it's something different today or to ignore scientific studies up until COVID land? How is that scientific? That's dogma. That is adhering to doctrine. Now, to so many people, this is nothing. You know, like your lives are carrying on, but there are still us healthcare workers who are being affected and treated so disgustingly by our government. And the only way this is going to stop is if people stand up and say enough. Enough is enough. I've had COVID, so what exactly are they trying to protect me against? What are they trying to protect you against? They have rat tests. I could test myself every day before I see patients. I can go out in the community, I can walk around and apparently that's safe. But caring for families and people that need me is, is not okay anymore. So I just wanted to jump on and say please people share my story, share this with anyone. We need to unite here, we need to stand together as a team. And we need you to fight for us because the media won't listen. Nobody will listen to us. We are being seen as spreading misinformation. I am seeing vaccine injuries all the time. And we are just forgotten. So please, please, please share this. One kind of personal note, observational, is just to think about, you know, the perception they frame these people or how they frame these people, Right as the dirty, evil, unvaccinated of spitting in people's faces because they hate people or they're scared or whatever the kind of childish person, uh, you know, personification they put on these people. But the, in my just, you know, and how do you can't know for sure. But just looking at this video, she strikes me as a very genuine, considerate person. 
And that's what and, and they are attacking that person for not doing what they've decided is the right thing. They're the ones still working there that did do this and that her previous friends that now shun her and disregard her. Those are the bad people. You've effectively boxed out all the honest, integrate people with integrity that even if you disagree with their choice, are willing to stand by what they believe in. That's the kind of people we should be leaning into, not the other way around. But unfortunately, people like her get attacked, shunned and disregarded. While the people that are willing to force injections in your child's arm because they've decided for you that it's right are the ones leading the charge now. You know, all the heroes of yesterday are now the people on the dirty unboxers of today. It makes me sick. But the problem is you can see verifiably, clinically, that she has myocarditis because of the injections and they were going to force another one on her that increases verifiably her risk of myocarditis. How is that scientific? That's at a time when we know this is not, is not is, even by their narrative, as dangerous as it was before. That children and in general, people have very low risk about this. It's about a flu for the vast majority of people, far less for most. And yet she has to take something that puts her at a dramatically increased risk for that. Is this about health? Who actually believes that right now? Here's Dr. McCullough pointing out that spike protein has been found now to, and you can read about this yourself, in the human heart and is believed to be the causative agent for the burgeoning epidemic of heart inflammation. Peaks ages 18 to 24, but can extend down to toddlers and up to men over age 65. Now, of course, what they're going to jump right into, that's COVID. That's why COVID's so dangerous. Well, the reality of this is that by and large, what you'll find is the injection is what put what actually finds its way predominantly into places like your heart or your brain, which has been shown in a lot of different studies. Either way, even if you want to give them the idea that COVID is causing this, which I guess that's certainly possible, assuming it's actually there, what we know for sure is that you're increasing the production of that spike protein in your body with the injection. So beyond a shadow of a doubt, the injection, if the spike protein is the primary point of danger, which it seems to be, is more dangerous than COVID because it produces exponentially more. It trains your body how to make these things. It turns your body into the enemy, antibody-dependent enhancement. But the idea is that it doesn't stay in your arm. It doesn't produce one and then go away. As they now deleted that information from their website and never addressed that, the point is we know, based on peer-reviewed science, that this goes into your bloodstream within an hour, at the very least, and circulates your body and continues to make spike proteins. That's dangerous. Based on any understanding of any science around this entire topic, but they just don't want to talk about it. Now that we're finding it in the heart and we know that the injections are clearly potentially causing myocarditis, why isn't this a connected point? Because it's not about science, it's about narrative. This is just more proof at the very least, even if you want to say COVID can do this, that the injection creating the spike protein is equally dangerous. But nope, keep forcing it in the children that don't need it because narrative. Here's another example of the excess death. We're baffled by it though. Today's CDC data update, this is on the 24th, excess mortality in the United States has tripled since the emergency use authorization of the COVID-19 injections. Let me repeat that. Excess mortality in the United States post-injection has tripled. Now, wouldn't you argue that would be the worst in 2020 before the savior injection? Excess mortality by week 51 was 100 plus 100 deaths per 100,000. Excess mortality by the bottom line, guys, is it's tripled. And you could read about this for yourself. You can look it up on the data. The bottom line is this is pretty much everywhere you look across the planet right now. Excess mortality in Finland. What the heck is killing so many people there? Apparently climate change. I mean, guys, this is undeniable. The, ex- the excess death and mortality is skyrocketing. And in places like the UK, they're going, I don't know, maybe lockdown. We're baffled. We're confused by this unexplainable death. Well, most people aren't very confused. You can't keep pretending this thing is causing things that are, that, that are, you know, whatever, heart problems, strokes, and then disregarding when those same problems are building and you can't explain why.
I argue this is why people like Fauci are running scared from this right now. Here's New Zealand. Just another fine point example of what is very undeniable. Yes, this is correlation. But when you see this every single place you look, it becomes very hard to disregard. The House advice has been that to date, we've managed to largely control the outbreak. It's clear that long periods of heavy restrictions has not got us to zero cases. But that is okay. Elimination was important because we didn't have vaccines. Now we do. We have more options. And there's good cause for us to feel optimistic about the future. While we make our transition from a place where we only use heavy restrictions to a place where we use vaccines and everyday public health measures. We need to keep using the tools we have. We need to vaccinate. We need to test. We need to find cases. We need to isolate them and actively control any outbreak now and in the future. Now, for those in the podcast, what you're what they're looking at here on the screen is the reality that, first of all, there was no problem with deaths before the vaccination. There was really no issue in even regard to cases in both. This is in a lot of places, by the way, where the actual problem exploded post injection. They just blame that on the unvaccinated, which there's no evidence for. In fact, the proof is today showing you that wasn't true. But the, the correlation between the increased spikes in, in administration and then the correlated spikes of deaths over and over and over. It just doesn't stop. And it's everywhere you look. This is literally willfully blind people right now that just won't acknowledge this because their jobs depend on it and their credibility. Tools we have. We need to vaccinate. We need to test. We need to find cases. We need to isolate them and actively control any outbreak now and in the future. And then the point being is that they have the highest amount of deaths well, well, well after the administration has been predominantly spread across the population. Now, I don't care what your narrative is or what your argument is. That's exactly the opposite of what they told you would happen. And by the way, people with natural immunity, why every peer-reviewed science study you could find is have lasting, durable, robust, and continual immunity for any variance of concern going forward. Still there, still the body of evidence, but yet we're arguing that's not really the case, I guess, based on what science, guys? Trusting the science is ignoring all the peer-reviewed science because we don't like the idea of natural immunity because it undercuts our vaccine sales? That doesn't sound like science to me. People who are vaccinated will still get COVID-19. Um, it just means that they won't get sick and they, and they won't die. Right. So do you hear what you said there? Pe not, not could, may, people that get the injection will still get COVID-19. Apparently that's a foregone conclusion. It's the literal exact opposite of what they said in the beginning. You won't get COVID. Even she said that. You won't get COVID. You're not going to go to the hospital. You're not going to die. And of course, the point is that as the peak of the administration, you see the peak of the deaths. So clearly that's also not true because yes, they are dying. It's incredibly ridiculous to me. It's everywhere, guys. You just can't miss this. Now, what's interesting to me, and, and of course, this is framed in a very partisan way, is what everybody seemed to suggest. But Jack Posobiec points out that Alex Jones literally predicted they would blame vaccine on Trump. Well, yeah, so did anybody with eyes, right? Let's, let's not make this partisan as much as they will always want to drive this into partisan. The point is that I've been saying it too, and I'm a completely nonpartisan individual, that it's obvious that they were being set up. It seems pretty clear to me now, and I'm still not off the table in regard to whether I think Trump is aware of this stuff. I mean, how can you still be promoting the vaccine? That's one obvious point. But I'm pretty convinced that he is more, his hubris won't allow him to say that. And so what we're at now is where he was played like a fiddle and doesn't want to say that because it makes him look bad. So now you're going along with it. But at the point now, he was the scapegoat. 
I mean, this is exactly what people like Corbett and even myself were saying before the, tw- the election, that Trump is the great divider or the ideas are going to use him and collapse this at his feet. I made that argument right when he was elected, that they were going to use this to, to justify the collapse of this country, the collapse of the economy, because anything bad that happens, well, that was because Trump. That's what I think he was meant to play, whether he knew it or not. So at the point now where we can see Politico, yes, coming out and saying, The Trump administration pressured the FDA to authorize unproven treatments for COVID-19 and the first COVID-19 vaccines on an accelerated timeline. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. While they are right now emergency authorizing things so fast, they haven't even gotten all the studies done and they're not doing any safety trials. And they're emergency authorizing at a time when that's not even legal. But yet Trump's the one that rushed this when that took longer than what they're doing right now. By the way, they're both being rushed, both sides. The reality, though, is that both of them are dangerous. And what they're doing now is just trying to pretend like everything bad that's happened is probably Trump's fault. And they'll happily gobble that up on one side. <laughs> the other side is going to push back and say that, you know, it's, it's, it's always how the two-party paradigm works. But the frustrating part about this is it's exactly what anybody would have expected. To use this as an easy scapegoat right before the election and say, it was Trump's fault. Get ready for the next one. That'll be the good one. And then if Trump wins the next election, well, guess what? Now it'll be a good vaccine for the right. It's always the same thing. This is what I predict and I'm worried about, that whether DeSantis or Trump, that eventually it'll end up in a position where that vaccine's good because now they're in charge. Just like the Democrats did before where, no, we don't trust this vaccine and they get elected. Oh, well, now we do because it's good and we're in charge. I just don't, thinking adults can't be falling for this stuff. The two-party paradigm. I mean, this is bottom of the barrel stuff in my opinion. And I don't know why anybody falls for this anymore. But yes, I do believe that they're going to blame this on Trump because that's the easy scapegoat. Anything is Trump's fault. White supremacy, you know, flown shooters. I mean, it's just January 6th, whatever they want to lay at his feet, anything. But here's the most two last ridiculous points before we get into the Great Reset direction. This is just mind-blowingly ridiculous to me. Jerusalem Post and every other Western outlet is pointing out that a man apparently after coming back from Spain on some kind of sexcapades trip is like kind of how they're, you know, unprotected sex during his trip. A man is now tested positive for COVID-19, monkeypox, and HIV all at the same time. Or we're dealing with a ridiculous test that they know is ridiculous and just lean into whenever they want to, right? Let's test him for everything else. It's probably going to give you the same thing. You know why? Because that's a bad test for actually knowing whether somebody is sick or whether you can just find whatever you want to find, as Kerry Mullis pointed out, you know, the creator of the test. But the bottom line here is that if you're pretending he's positive with COVID-19, monkeypox, and HIV, isn't it possible that they're all the same thing? Isn't it possible that we're just talking about vaccine side effects being framed as something else or immune deficiency being framed as something else or however you want to look at this? The bottom line is that it seems outrageous to argue that this person, I'm sure, I mean, I mean, I would defer to somebody more of an expert in regard to uh, virology. Is it even possible to be sick with these three things simultaneously? I'll leave that for people to discuss. But I find this to just be kind of laugh out loud ridiculous. You know, what are we going to call this? Cove monkey HIV? You're right. I mean, HI monkey COVID-19, like they just combine, you know, Delmacron and Fluorona and whatever other ridiculous childish pushes just to scare people. But finally, to bring this into the climate change point of discussion today, I actually forgot to play this at the end of yesterday's show, but I'm glad I didn't because I didn't get into the next show right afterward. You are not going to believe this. There are now apps being pushed to 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 test for CO2 levels to assess COVID risk. Look at that. 
There's your perfect little overlap. Very clumsy, I might add. The overlap to going, well, CO2 levels are, are important to bring down because COVID risk. When you have more higher CO2 levels, where you have higher COVID risk. You know, their logic is, well, because breath, and that's where COVID go. But not, this, it's very flimsy. And the funniest part about the clip is the experts come in and go, that doesn't make sense, basically. And they go, well, but here's why. But I'll watch you play for it. But don't miss how the obvious overlap. Just like I said in the beginning, whether it's climate change or weather or COVID-19 or whatever else, the same solutions apply. We need to help. You know, <laughs> the Great Reset, basically, is where it all goes. But the overlap of CO2 and carbon, all these different things with COVID-19, it's just impossible to miss. People want to do something to stop COVID. This is a way for many different people from many different backgrounds to come together to contribute to something positive. What do the backgrounds have to do with anything? So you can't see so you. You, so only, if you're only one race, you can't do that. I mean, what does that even mean? That's just a clumsy effort to shoehorn in the woke politics. Good. So now multiple races can all test CO2 together as opposed to not being able to on other apps. Like what a dumb thing to say, but they're so desperate to put this in front of the people they think they're supposed to be doing so. Like that's, that's politics. A new web app is helping people assess their COVID-19 risk by logging the levels of carbon dioxide in different locations across the city. Now, that's an app that's going to be used to continue to do that, right? And it's not just for their own app. That's being, as they tell you, being cataloged. So what else do you think that's doing? Logging CO2 levels anywhere in the world people are using this app? That's not going to be used against you, I'm sure. Okay, let's say you're in a room full of people. Everyone breathes out carbon dioxide. If there's a lot of carbon dioxide in that space, that means the ventilation system is not moving it out. All that means all the viruses in the air from those people is still in the air, too. And the more... That's not even remotely true, by the way. That's an assumption. And the, even the expert points that out. But let's just, this guy's selling his app, so we're clear on that. But think about their stupid, I, the, the absurdity, absurdity of wearing a mask that dramatically increases your carbon dioxide intake and then having an app next to you that warns you about CO2 in the atmosphere. Like while you're living, literally sitting around a bunch of people breathing around CO2 circulating amongst their masks in dangerous levels, even for children, especially dangerous. I mean, just this doesn't seem scientific at all. This seems like a weird way to shoehorn in the CO2 discussion for where this is going. Just a thought. More likely you're going to get COVID. The Raven app website allows people to input carbon dioxide levels wherever they are with the help of a portable carbon dioxide monitor. The numbers are then reflected on a map. Information is being logged by both the general public and volunteers. And then I kind of go onto the app and then I just log in where I was, the CO2 levels and the time and the weather and... Right. Oh, just, you know, just put down your social security number while you're at it. Right. Just make sure you know exactly where you are, what you're doing and what you're thinking about when that happens. So we can keep you safe from COVID-19. Yeah, that makes sense. Then all those different details, I just log it in and that's it. It's extremely useful, especially for people with underlying conditions or someone that's vulnerable. I don't even understand why that makes sense. So the, uh, the assumption is that if there's high CO2, that means you're more at risk from specifically COVID. But the argument is anything else. But that's that is a. I mean, there's a connection to the idea that CO2 is breathing out. And when you breathe out, they argue that's where the risk from COVID comes. But if you're wearing a mask, that doesn't make sense. As, as arguably anybody even involved in this discussion is all wearing 13 pairs of masks or 14 gloves. The point is that if you're wearing a mask, that doesn't make sense in what they tell you it's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to stop. It doesn't keep you safe. Well, apparently this is a weird way around that to say that we know that's not true. Because yes, if the virus is still circulating in the air, that means the mask isn't stopping it, right? <laughs> it's like, these guys just don't know where to aim. This is my point I've made a million times before this. If you lie about everything, eventually you have to step on previous lies to sell your current lie. That's what's happening all over the place. 
it really helps to know whether you should be in these areas or whether you should, you know, protect yourself in these areas. The CO2 is a way to tell if your school's ventilation for your child is good. So- or how about they artificially make it look like there's a CO2 problem and cause people to take action that they shouldn't need to take? Or this leads to some forced app on your passport app or your digital ID that says suddenly this area of carbon CO2 is increasing. Everyone must lock down. Or you know, These are all hypothetical. But this is the kind of world they're slowly creeping you into. And I'll make that clear throughout the show. You can share that data with other parents and you can prevent your child from getting COVID potentially. An air quality expert says while carbon dioxide is a good indicator. You know, the very, 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 very slim risk, one in a million chance of dying for children, especially when in Omicron world, they say it's one one thousandth of the risk originally. That even if they do get it, the risk of even getting sick and going to the hospital is dramatically low. And apparently even their false number of 500 children of the entire pandemic is what they still lie to you about. But let's be worried about the kids. Like what the, the idea that these kids need to be protected, they need to be protected from the establishment who is killing them with these dangerous injections. That's what they need to be protected from. It is important to take other factors into account when it comes to COVID-19 transmission. Respiratory particles. and OK, now, now what's funny about this is here's the expert. They bring on an expert and this is the, apparently the best they can get. This guy basically says that doesn't make sense. And they clearly selectively edit this to make it just kind of sound like it means, well, it has a war, an effect, but it's not so, as I'll, I'll let him say it. Carbon dioxide don't. Important to take other factors into account when it comes to COVID-19 transmission. Respiratory particles and carbon dioxide don't behave the same, right? And so, for example, uh, if you have a very big respiratory uh, particle, it's going to settle to the ground or deposit. In that case, the carbon dioxide levels won't reflect the risk of catching an infection. Right. So then it makes no sense then. Another maybe more relevant example is uh, filters. If you have a portable filter or a filter in your central system, it can remove those respiratory droplets, uh, but it doesn't remove CO2. On that note, the... Right, so the CO2 would continue, right? So his point is that the ventilation this guy's selling his app about doesn't remove the CO2. It removes the particles. So that means the CO2 will continue to build, but the particles won't be there. So this is a manipulation, guys. This is utterly ridiculous. And even the expert is going, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. And I'm sure they just clipped that part out as he explains that it doesn't make sense. Creators of the Raven app say they're adding a function that will add more nuance to risk assessment than just carbon dioxide levels based on the air filters being used in the space. Ah, so now you're adapting the app to add the thing that makes this not make sense. Now you can input whether there's filters around you. (laughs) Well, okay. So are they on? Are they working? How do you, I mean, this is ridiculous. This is being fearful of the world, of the air around you, of everything constantly, and just be having an app to guide you. Don't listen to your technocratic direction. Find out what the filtration rate is. You can do a calculation. We'll have that in the app. How do you find out what the filtration is? You have to find that out. You're going to go ask the the manager (laughs) and you're going to enter it in. Meanwhile, you're in the place where it could be dangerous though. (laughs) But go ahead and walk through there to get the numbers to be able to walk out. I mean, this, it, it just, this is so stupid as well, okay. like an advanced calculator. So you can sort of be at ease if the air changes are at least six to 10 air changes an hour in a room. Anyone can view the app and its info, but to log levels, you need a carbon dioxide monitor. If you'd rather not spend the money, the Toronto Public Library has you covered. Right. So, by the way, extra, you know, the monitor not included. Oh, cool. So I have an app that's useless about the expensive monitor that I need to be able to gauge that got it. So it's all a big scam. What a surprise. But this is just an interesting overlap with CO2 in the direction of where they're driving this all now. I just find that too easy, too obvious to miss. Well, we know that the translation between this is not it's it's non it's it's uh, non-existent, I should say. 
It's the same argument. Here is Trudeau literally making the exact same argument as he made about the dirty unvaccinators, right? They're racist and they're anti-science and they're, you know, all these highly credentialed scientists are apparently anti-science according to this non-scientist. That makes sense. But he says, she says, substitute unvaccinated with net zero denier. This is your future. Same point. He says, it's, 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 it's in French. So you, I'll just read what he, uh, you can listen to for yourself. They don't believe in science progress and are very often misogynistic. Where's that even come from? So you don't believe that the science around this is sound. So therefore you hate women or you're racist against certain race. I mean, there's nothing that connects those things. He just, this is their clumsy patch together argument about anybody they claim as a conspiracy theorist. It says, this leads us as a leader and as a country to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? Apparently now he gets to decide whether you're even allowed to be there. Not like you have rights and, you know, constitution. No, no, no. It's now a dictator's choice to decide whether you get to exist because you don't agree with him. Democracy? Representative government? Not even close. Not that you should even want that. But before we get into the continuation of the COVID-19 discussion, I needed to put this in here somewhere because this is utterly ridiculous. Now, if we're talking about somebody who's literally pointing at you and saying, you don't know science, you're racist, misogynist, anti-science denier. As he points to things that he says are the sound scientific studies, right? So we trust them. They know. Well, how about we consider this next story in there in, and really digest or, dis- or dissect you know, whether they have the ability for discernment whether they care about whether these scientific studies are correct or not, or they just point at what they want to use, right? This is called the Diagolon story. Now, many of you have seen this, and I'm just going to skim over this for the most part because it's just hilarious, but it's not... It, the, you, I, I recommend you read through these articles. I'll show you. But the, bot, the point of this story is Diagolon, as you'll see in this video, is a meme. This is a fake story created in order, I would argue, to potentially get them to do exactly this. Like I was just mentioning the other day, where people would, in, in the beginning of the woke politics era, were making studies and, and, and pr- submitting them for peer review, and they made literally everything up. Now, I think the one I was mentioning yesterday was about uh, being overweight and so on, and they made up this entire article about how being fat was healthy, and even though it's unscientific and not true. The point is they made up all these grasping personal emotional arguments and it got peer reviewed and then peer peer reviewed and accepted. And then it got, they turned out that they made a big joke about it. They went on shows and laughed about it and then they pulled it back. So these peer reviewers got caught driving forward politics based on non-scientific arguments. That's the reality of where this is today. Not that everything is like that, but that's the corporate mainstream co-option of this discussion or of scientific process. So here we're going to look at Julie, uh, 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 Justin Trudeau discussing this diagonal story and using that to declare an emergency and argue about extremism, even though it was a fake story. It is a group of people that created a fake idea about a, gr- a country that went across in a diagonal way of terrorists trying to overtake the country and they fell for it. Or rather, I just argue they didn't even care if it was true. It pro- progressed their agenda. And then consider whether you trust his other logic when it comes to science or anything else for that matter. I think, well, I'll make sure it's the right one to start with. Yeah, okay. 
story for you. It's a true story. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act. Diagalon. 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 A far-right extremist group. We're talking about a group that is organized, driven by an extreme ideology. A so-called... And, and don't, don't forget the overlap here with the idea of the far-right extremist, the Azov movement, the whole thing, the, the, the conservative MAGA, QAnon. Like the, they're really trying to create the illusion of this exact problem. And that's why they're forced to use fake memes to, to progress the agenda. Accelerationist group formed by a former member of the Canadian Armed Forces, which aims to accelerate racial conflict to lead to the eventual creation of a white ethno state. It's stated for per- real, real quick. This right here, I believe this, this is this right here. The clip. Oh, hold on. I went too far back or forward right here. This is fake. Right. That's his face on a face. They, ma- they manufactured this and they're literally pointing at this stuff as dangerous as reality of extremism. To accelerate racial conflict to lead to the eventual creation of a white ethno state. Its stated <laughs> purpose is, quote, to incite a race war. Oh <laughs> and by the way, I'm sure they did it on purpose, but here they are with their black friend laughing about how they made this up. Dude. <laughs> it's over. It's fucking done. <laughs> Imagine you make up an entire fake story and your government declares a state of emergency because of that story. I mean, how ridiculous is that? It shows you their level of research, their level of discernment, or rather they just don't care. The, ma- the image you're seeing here is the fake map they created, and that's where the name comes from. A diagonal country. How stupid. Dude, did we predict this on one of the old fucking streams? Of course, my stream is dropping off all of a sudden. I'm going to give it a second. But so you guys know, he is, uh, there is cursing throughout this. I should have said it begin. So it's usually a family-friendly show. I apologize for the cursing. But it's just this ridiculous. Let me know in the chat if you guys can still hear me. It's just, it, this, oh, this continues to frustrate me how this even is possible, by the way. I, yeah, it doesn't matter. I bring it up every time. I'm just going to wait for it to potentially come back. Can you guys hear me in the chat? Let me know. Just like yesterday, right at the most important parts suddenly drops out what a shock am i getting all robotic like we were before there we go starting to come back let's continue remember diagonal country all the way to and alaska dude you know here it is all the way from florida all the way up super diagonal country the justin trudeau regime declared war on a pretend country that doesn't <laughs> exist the federal uh, government how much do we have to see I mean, I mean, think about how stupid this is, like the idea that they would argue that Hong Kong, which, by the way, is just another meme, which is which, you know, look, you could argue there are people in those circles that may have certain ideology or believe certain things. But to just broad stroke the entire thing as hail Hitler, that is as stupid as arguing the OK sign is about white power. Now, did if, is there somebody out there who used it that way? Probably. Who knows? But to say that Trump, because he does his same, like what he's done long before this, or I've done without even realizing it, you get called a conspiracy. It's just these people don't care facts. This is a project progressing an agenda. Gosh darn it. My stream continues to drop out right now. I guess I'll just continue. And it just frustrates me that this even happens. <laughs> Don't eat 
people like me. So you can point and say, that's the bad guy. That's okay. I've been a bad guy for you. How funny. I made this on my phone as a pretend flag for a pretend country that doesn't exist. Its vice president is a goat figurine named Philip who has an extremely hard time with narcotics. <laughs> I mean, apparently you literally can make this stuff up. <laughs> I mean, my God, how embarrassing. And you know what's even worse? As they haven't even cared to address that. Right. So there will move happily past this. And the media that towed those lines without thinking will do the same because they're all children, all fighting for political relevance. And it's pathetic. Here's another clip. Or, and it just says uh, he is a transparent Canadian veteran. So he's a veteran of the military in Canada, by the way, with serious, valid concerns about what's going on in his country. He served and suffered for. He has never hidden from anybody. Right. They try to act like he's some secret, secluded white supremacist. It's just they don't even know what they're talking about. They're just leaning into a narrative they create about anybody they want to frame this way. That's how bad this is. There's a problem between, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Tyson, the owner of a uh, real Canadian recreation, a uh, veterans charity uh, being assaulted for not wearing a mask and having his neck near broken and killed. The guy's got serious neck injuries already, but. Uh, and then now a vehicle uh, plowed through protesters in uh, in Winnipeg. Is the media or any of you lying hypocrites ever going to admit that we're not the problem? You go on and on and on. These violent people, they're so violent in the rhetoric, and the violent, the violent. Last time I checked, we're not the ones hurting anybody. Very much the opposite, in fact. And I said this and said this and said this. Your rhetoric... You're gaslighting, and you've got words coming out of the prime minister's mouth like, "How should we tolerate these people?" Similar things being said by premiers and doctors, the top doctors, right? The top sellouts all over the country, which is the green light to the rest of the citizenry that yes, it is okay to attack these people because look at them—they're the problem. They're scum. They're dirt. Oh, the unvaccinated. Oh, they're not wearing masks. Oh, they did this. They've created this environment. You want to persecute people like me and others for, for just telling the truth, saying, oh, you're inciting hate. You're inciting hate. Nobody that I know that's ever been associated with me or, or any, no one's attacking anybody. The opposite. The people that follow CBC and listen to your garbage are now driving cars through crowds of people. They're strangling veterans in businesses for not wearing a piece of paper on their face when he's got a medical exemption. Who's responsible? You know damn well who it is. I completely agree with that. And anybody honest with themselves can see that too. You don't create a situation where you have, as even the prime minister of New Zealand admitted, two different classes of people. And she said, yes, that's what we're doing. Completely owned up to it. You are literally creating a two-tier society. That's exactly what used to be consp you know, conspiracy theory or bigotry or racism or whatever else, except now it's okay because we agree with it. It's pathetic. And the point about this is that was him before this. He's just an honest individual or, you know, I, I don't know the person, but in the context of this discussion, he's a person who is fighting for what he believes in, not the racist, extremist, white supremacist that, that he pretended or rather, I don't even argue he pretended to be that. He just pretended to be a group that they then made that. How embarrassing is that? Here's the corporate media discussion of this, guys. This is August 23rd. Diagonal. What to know about the group whose founder shook Pierre Polver's hand. Seriously, this is on the 23rd. This is two days ago. 
This information has been there since the 21st. This one since the 21st, probably before that. So they are aware this is not real. They just don't care. Dangerous white supremacist and look, it shook this guy's hand, co-opted by the far right. This is why we know things like January 6th and the push about all of this is a psyop, guys. How do you, you don't fall for stuff like this if it's based on the reality. Here's CTV. What is the diagonal extremist group and what does it want? <laughs> I mean, how embarrassing. This is corporate media today. Anywhere you look. A National Observer. Pierre Pulivier, uh, is it Pulivier? Uh, I, I forget, I've heard his name pronounced. Dangerous dance with a diagonal extremist. My God, this guy will go down. This is, I mean, he should be famous for this. I mean, that's crazy. He just trolled the entire Canadian government. Now, the point is, this is the kind of thing that they base their declaration of emergency on. Their discussion of asking, do we tolerate these people? They're racist, misogynistic. Well, isn't that exactly what you're being when you do, when you completely fabricate entire stories about things you don't even understand or you don't even care to understand? Yeah, that's the point. So now when we step into the idea when they're all screaming about climate change and the Great Reset and digital IDs, we should maybe question their logic or their scientific just, uh, uh, justification. Maybe. Here's Fortune. And this is a quick overlap to let you see that it's not just the U.S. government, not just Canada, not just the U.K. It's also China and Russia and all the rest of it because they're all working together, in my opinion, to drive forward the larger agenda. Here's Fortune. China just ran into something that could be even more devastating for its supply chains than COVID-19 lockdowns. A record heat wave. Look at that. In, in one-stop shop, you get supply chain issues, COVID-19 lockdowns being the problem, and record heat waves for climate change. What a perfect juxtaposition of this ridiculous narrative. I mean, all, or all three of them just jamming together. Well, the point is the record heat wave that arguably isn't really happening the way they want you to think it is, is the reason that supply chains break. They are taking open, directed, targeted action to reduce fertilizer, carbon. And that is directly translating to a reduction in food supply, farmers, farmer productions. And yet they can go, oh, it's the heat wave or it's Russia. How in the world? This is as stupid as saying this can cause myocarditis in an injection. And then when somebody gets it, you go fake news. It's the same point. You're admitting you're causing this. And then when you point at the cause, you blame something else. I don't even know if children fall for something this stupid. Bernie's tweets points out, mad scientists obsessed with their abilities to play God and change the climate are proposing messing the seas up by, quote, quote, fertilizing the oceans with iron. Seriously? First of all, the idea that, okay, so we're talking about fertilization over, you can't use fertilizer over there. It's not the same thing, but the point is fertilizing the oceans with iron could help remove a gigaton of carbon dioxide per year. Right. See, there's your the carbon dioxide discussion, guys. And that's not even like there are plenty. And in my opinion, the experts that I believe are far more backed up by the science and sound in their discussions and objective would argue that carbon dioxide is not the way they're framing it or carbon in general. That that's not the reality. And in fact, the world needs this. And that what we're doing is just a simple manipulation. But we're seeing this all over the place, justifying things that we know aren't caused by this. Or at the very least, not entirely caused by this. I don't believe they're caused by this at all. To be quite honest, CBS pushes study blaming climate change for rising childhood obesity rates. You know, not the junk food that we're pushing, not the hormones and preservatives and additives and, you know, McDonald's and Burger Kings and all the crap we give them at school and none of that. No, no, no. Or the, the fluoride we put in their water, the glyphosate, all these which have their own effects in regard to obesity, 
look it up for yourself. I've covered it in my show. None of that stuff. None of that matters. It must be climate change. This abstract, unprovable discussion that plenty of people don't even agree with, but that's what's causing obesity, which, by the way, then translates to risk from COVID. Therefore, it all comes together. This is my point, as always. There are provable examples of what they're doing, they being, in this case, just, you know, the authority the, the powers that shouldn't be. But if you want to make a fine point on it, the corporations, the government allowing these fast and loose regulations around what they can use, or even in, in vaccines, for whether for animals or for people, where they play, they play it fast and loose. They cut corners. They hide information, especially with animal vaccines. The point is that there's a thousand examples of what is actually causing this. And I I'm, I'm, I'm feel like I'm forgetting one of the most obvious. Instead, they point to something un, intangible. That is how this works. We would rather assume in the direction of what we want you to think than point to the facts we can prove. Everywhere you're seeing that. Here's another frustrating example. As many as one in six U.S. tree species is threatened with extinction. Before we even get into the, I'm sure you can tell or assume, especially in the podcast, what their explanation will be. Well, let's not, let's not talk about deforestation. Let's not talk about massive pollution primarily coming from governments or specifically like the U.S. military, the largest polluter on the planet. But no, let's focus on your personal actions and your personal carbon, because why they're telling, they're saying climate change is the reason that trees are going extinct. Again, climate change, which, by the way, is a natural process going all the way back to thousands of years, which ebbs and flows. This is not what we're talking about, what they're talking about, but that's the reality. Of course, with increases in temperatures or decreases in temperatures being natural could lead to these things going in the same, you know, having less species and then having more, you know, however you want to look at it. But the point is that what is primarily causing this and has been long before this is their actions or rather their lack of concern, their lack, their, the, the way that they will, I mean, the points I simply made are the most obvious, the deforestation, right, which is happening overwhelmingly everywhere. For all sorts of other reasons, including getting them out of the way so they can mine or drill or a thousand reasons why this is happening. But the biggest one or the biggest polluters of the people that might cause the things, even if you want to pretend it's climate change, are the very people that are not changing what they're doing. In fact, they're pointing to you and saying you have to change and that's why this is happening. My point is always is that it's a ridiculous oversimplification to say, well, it's just climate change. That's why. When, by the way, they can't prove that. That's just their subjective assumption, which they will always do in the direction of their agenda. That that's what's most likely causing it. Well, what about everything else? Climate hazards are turning 218 diseases into bigger threats. You know, or it's the thing you're giving people across the world that dramatically explode their immune system and destroys their ability to fight these things. Or those things in and of themselves then cause other problems and diseases to get exponentially worse. Or, you know, maybe it's the antibiotic problem we're creating by overusing these, which cause things to get worse. None of that's part. It's all climate change. Must be that you can't prove, but let's say that authoritatively as a corporate outlet. This is insulting to your intelligence. Oh, and by the way, I'm sure many of you saw this, a world climate declaration signed by over 1,100 scientists and professionals. They say there is no climate emergency. Now, my point is not to say, there there you go, ends the conversation, which is what they love to do with their preprints and whatever else they find. This is simply pointing out that there is a lot, a lot, thousands of highly credentialed experts, scientists, doctors, professionals around the world that are adamantly saying, look, this is not real. Not that we're not destroying the planet. Those two things you can separate. Yes, we're destroying the planet in a million different ways. And the very people doing the worst destroying are the ones nobody's talking about. On top of that, the climate emergency is not what they're calling is not real. It's not what they're pointing at the carbon and all the issues. It's in my opinion, the science does not back that up. Now, you don't have to agree with me, though. Just recognize that it's not defined. It's not settled. 
So when they push in politics and policies and agendas that change for everyone in the world, how is that possible when apparently half the planet doesn't agree? Well, that's the whole point about the Great Reset and the technocratic future. You don't get a choice. Your betters will decide for you. Now, in regard to climate, a couple last points before we shift over into the new direction. A, a, a breaking article from the Counter Signal points out that Trudeau is installing weapons armories interrogation rooms for Ministry of Climate Change. This on August 23rd. It says the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change is building a new facility. Now, to be clear, this is something that was leaked to the counter signal. I can't personally verify that these documents are accurate. But the point is, in general, that's not. I don't find the uh, document of the building being built to be the most damning, quite honestly. I find the, the report that everyone can see to be the most damning. But if we get more of this flushed out and I can confirm this for myself, I'll, I might change my mind. But the point is, he has this link, he's just corner signal overlap on the whole thing. But <clears throat> arguing that somebody gave him this and, it, and the, the blueprint shows a firearm storage and so on. Now, just, you know, just take it with a grain of salt, seeing as how we can't verify these documents for ourselves. It's not included. There's no link and so on. <clears throat> and apparently he's got a whole bunch more and he only shared this one picture. So just consider all of that. It says... The Ministry of uh, is building a new facility in Winnipeg that will be home to the armory, interrogation rooms, biological labs, media relations offices, controlled quiet rooms. You know, and this is all based on this document that we can't look at. The plans, which were drawn up by a firm in Winnipeg, <clears throat> open a window into Trudeau's future plans for climate enforcement. Now, this is what I focus on, <clears throat> because, look, if you're talking about enforcement arms, just like the IRS or anything else or even the Postal Service, they have guns. It doesn't, it's obvious to me that they're going to give climate enforcement and they argue it's the end of the planet some enforcement arm, but it says down the hall from the proposed firearm storage rooms are several evidence rooms, interrogation suites, and adjacent recording rooms. Now, I just point out that who, how do we know that the firearm storage wasn't added by the person that leaked this to him and so on, right? That's, I just, this is how we have to be today. We have to be objective enough to realize that we don't know, even if he believes, and it is, we don't know for sure until we can prove it ourselves. Now, it says, according to the recent posted Indeed.com ad, the ministry is searching to recruit a battalion of climate pollution officers, a unit within the coldly named Environmental Enforcement Directorate. It's right there for you. Enforcement Officer, Environmental Pollution Enforcement. That's pretty alarming. And this is posted on September, the closing date, September 22nd, 2022. So, I mean, this, there's no misunderstanding this. If you're enforcing environmental pollution problem, how would you enforce that exactly? Either way you look at this, guys, it's pretty obvious they're going to have some kind of a, an enforcement arm to stop you from doing what they've decided is problematic for climate change. That is crazy, especially when apparently half the world doesn't agree. I just say rough generally because I think politically there's a line there, but you guys can decide for what degree, half or not. But it says the Impact Assessment Act, or IAA, which was quietly passed in the final days of Trudeau's majority government, grants sweeping power to ministerial enforcement officers. But until now, little has been explained about where and how climate police will be deployed. The AII empowers agents of ministry and climate change to enter premises without a warrant <clears throat> or to, ver to verify compliance or prevent noncompliance with the act. Trudeau's climate pol police may enter any project location that affects the environment to take photographs, assess computer systems and communication devices, and, quote, direct any person to put any machinery, vehicle, or equipment in the place into operation or to cease operating it. So think all the farmers and all the different, you know, th that's exactly what we're seeing now, shutting all that stuff down. Climate police may also prohibit access to the location entirely. 
it seems to be no coincidence this climate police armory was placed or, you know, assume the climate, the, the, what they are calling the armory was placed in the heartland of agriculture production in Canada. That's concerning. This information comes just days after agents dispatched the ECCC <clears throat> or by the ECCC were accused of trespassing on private land in Saskatchewan to collect nitrogen samples. That's exactly what we're seeing. The fertilizer discussion, the newest target, <clears throat> excuse me, of Trudeau's climate change agenda. According to the landowners who confronted the federal agents trespassing on their land, they were told that the purpose of them being there was to test the water in the farmers' dugouts to measure nitrate levels. Trudeau's government recently announced a policy to reduce the use of fertilizer on Canadian farms by 30%. This is Agenda 2030. It's not even secretly discussed. That's what this is. And the idea being is opponents are arguing that will cripple the food supply. Well, of course it will. This is not hard to understand. This is everywhere. Here is uh, uh, President Macron warning Wednesday that France faced sacrifices in a new era marked by climate change and instability caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So apparently climate change and instability are just because Russia now. Now, that whether he meant to make it sound that simple or not, but it says it signaled the end of abundance. I mean, this is just who is actually buying this? That that Ukraine, that Russia being invo in, involved in invading Ukraine and the not like the it's not even the overtake of the entire country at this point, but Russia invading this country is ending abundance for the world. Not the burning of wheat fields and stealing of oil of Syria or the burning of wheat fields and stealing of oil from Yemen or the controlling of multiple different locations that produce lots of different things. None of that matters. The U.S. government doing all of that. No, no, no. It's just this one location. Oh, and don't forget that the actual wheat discussion is predominantly being the proven, by the way, by our show and plenty of others being done by Ukraine, burning the areas where the wheat is or blocking them from being moved or putting mines in the area to stop them from being shipped out. All this is proven, but it's still Russia's fault. Right. That makes me pro-Russia because I take about I care about facts. You know. This is incredible. But the sacrifices, the point is you need to take it on the chin for the rest of the world. What we are living through is a time of great upheaval. Firstly, because we are witnessing, and not just since this summer, but over the past few years, the end of what we might have seen as abundance. And for those who enjoyed it, it is also the end of a carefree time. Our freedom, the liberty to which we have grown accustomed to in our lives has a price, and sometimes when we have to defend it, we have to make certain sacrifices as we fight to defend it. Oh, right. That's that old, you know, freedom isn't free. You know, like, let's go watch America Team Police, right? You got to pay for it, right? The, the, the idea that, that you need to do, the, you need to jump through the hoops they set for you in order to earn your freedom, I mean, that is counter to the very idea of freedom. That's how stupid this has gotten, right? Where the, like, the idea that free speech has limits, I mean, that is literally counterintuitive, guys. This is ridiculous, but this is where they've driven you. Everything means nothing, nothing means everything, constantly. Confusion, apathy, engineered apathy. That's what they want from people. But nobody's buying it, and that's why I think they're getting desperate. But the point is, you got to take some sacrifices, right? It's not your choice anymore. We got to do this for everybody, even though everybody over here doesn't even agree with this is even happening, though. And meanwhile, we're going to use justification to roll in the Great Reset. But don't talk about that yet. This is what we're seeing. And this is even how they're framing this in regard to the Netherlands. I mean, guys, don't miss that. This is on the surface of this conversation now. What's happening to the farmers in the Netherlands and around the world is what they're calling a climate transition. 
Okay, so how in the how in the world can the climate transition be what's causing all this upheaval, but yet it's all Russia's fault simultaneously? This is how dumb they think we are. Farmer protests in the Netherlands show just how messy the climate transition will be. No, this shows what happens when you destroy people's livelihoods. What happens when you arbitrarily set some metric to meet some arbitrary goal set by technocrats and elitists to drive in what you want to drive in, meanwhile, destroying the food supply in the, in the short term and potentially forever, and acting like it's what we need to do for climate transition? I mean, look, even if you believe that they're right, even if this is, we're all going to die in the next five years, even though they keep putting the, we're going to die in the year 2000. We'll be underwater by the year 2001. Everything will be dead by 2005. Over and over and over, they keep pushing it out. We'll have a complete ice age by 2000, by 1990, whatever the narratives from before were. We'll just jump to the next one. Sort of like with COVID. Just jump to the next one. Just keep following them. No, that mask doesn't work anymore. Wear this mask. Okay. Why do we keep listening to them? Again, even if you think they're right, does choice not play a factor here? At what point did we allow the world elitists to decide for everybody else what the right direction was? Don't they still pretend that we have representative democracies? I mean, none of this adds up. Everything they say one moment completely contradicts themselves by the next moment with the next agenda. But all it comes down to is emotional ploys and saying we need to do the right thing for the right people and stand up for the children and, and, all, and the people. It's, it's all manipulation. When the facts clearly show you that their own narrative doesn't even line up anymore. Climate transition, July 29th. What's driving the dispute? Manure. The Netherlands' intensive livestock farming system produces an unusual excess of animal feces. When mixed with urine, those feces give off ammonia and nitrous oxide. The former is a pollutant that can leak into the air and water, harming local wildlife. You know, that and then also all the, all the other things their governments are doing, which is 10,000 times more damaging. The militaries and otherwise the corporate corporate runoff and all the different things we know are happening, but let's stop the farmers because that's the worst problem, not even remotely. The latter, of course, the part that they're getting at when climate change is a potent greenhouse gas that traps heat in our atmosphere. Well, you know what puts off the most greenhouse gases? The military's polluting and everybody else, they don't want to point that. It says the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says nitrous oxide accounts for around 6% of global greenhouse gas emissions. The argument is whether those actually are what are causing problems or if they even cause a problem. The idea that the climate changing is a natural progression of life. That's the argument. You can decide for yourself. But if we have entire grouping of scientists who are putting up documents saying this is completely fabricated, then maybe we should consider that. You know, maybe it's called intelligence to consider other people's opinions. Not here, though. Not in this world. No, you have to stop what you're doing because we've decided this is the right direction. And we've pinpointed your farms as this small percentage of the problem. And we're going to start there and destroy the food supply instead of dealing with the largest problems first. That makes sense, right? In June, the Netherlands unveiled a world-leading target to have emissions of gases, as well as other nitrogen compounds that come from fertilizers by, you know, uh, well, you know, 2030. Why not? Yeah, that's not arbitrary. Always 2030, because it's about Agenda 2030. It's about the UN goals. They're not hiding that. To tackle their environment, environmental and climate impacts. So at what point did we miss where the elitist globalist governments or the government that's building is now setting these ideas and it, and leaders of countries are just making decisions without any voting, without any I- input by the people. And in fact, at the direct detriment of the people. And now they're even saying that, oh, you got to take some sacrifices for our choices. At what point do we realize that none of this is even remotely the illusion they present of what our governments are supposed to be? In fact, it's proving to you what we've always told you they are. The government said it was leading an unavoidable transition for agriculture. Is it unavoidable? Did we vote for that? 
What do people think? What do the farmers think? Is this even what most people want? None of that even matters because they've already decided. The target is expected to require a 30% reduction in overall livestock numbers, and experts say many farms will have to shut down. Okay, the point they make before that is, well, farmers can just change how they work with this and do different things and use different chemicals and blah, blah, blah. And that's so it's, it's their, their complaining is not justified. But then they literally go, but aside from that, we have to reduce livestock by 30%. Oh, so you can't just change what you're doing. 30% of them, no matter what, are going away. That is a direct and absolute reduction in the production of live of, of everything this leads to. And then also these are shutting down the farms that they work on. That's a attack on the food supply. If we're going to pretend like anything else is causing this, you're being willfully ignorant. They are directly and openly dis- suppressing the food supply, attacking food supply chains and acting like anybody else is at fault, including climate change. The very thing they say they're doing it for, which makes no sense. Oh, it says other high polluting industries such as aviation, construction, and transport, which produce far more problems, have yet to face such severe environmental rules. I wonder why. Maybe because they don't want those to stop. I mean, you can't make this make sense if you acknowledge. If you, I mean, the military is the point to go back to. The number one polluter on the planet is the U.S. military. That's that's openly discussed. So isn't that the first thing we focus on? Oh, that's right, because they've already made military action, nuclear weapons and gas and oil in certain locations like the UK green. So they're OK, but we're going to stop the farmers over here with their nitrates. But we're going to keep using oil and gas and nuclear weapons because that leads to freedom, which there then means we can take freedom. I mean, you can't. That's it's childishly stupid. But going over into the food and, and, and energy manipulation. There's plenty of smaller real-world examples of how they're already doing stuff like this. This is reason from the beginning of the month. Following USDA guidance, state clinics have destroyed thousands of cans of usable baby formula. Right, didn't we have a baby formula shortage? Isn't that interesting? As it says, amid a national shortage of baby formula, family care centers in at least two different states discarded thousands of cans of unopened, unexpired baby formula. Why? Because the federal authorities told them to. Now you can get into why and how and what their justification is, but does it make sense when they're unexpired and not opened at a time when you're acknowledging a shortage? That is a manufactured problem, guys. Now this next this point, <clears throat> I can't necessarily just tell you whether or not this is because they were expired or so on, because that is certainly possible. But this is a clip of a, of a trucker who is watching them throw away pallets upon pallets of formula so when we know that it is happening we when they're not expired we should at very least consider whether that's what this is too that's pallets of baby formula they're dumping them that's what they're doing with them there's pallets upon pallets. I wondered why they had it stored outside. That's baby formula. That whole pile. Right. So we're throwing this stuff away, in many cases verifiably when they're unexpired, and then arguing we have a baby formula shortage. But don't worry, though, because Bill Gates works on his bio milk, right? Isn't it strange how Bill Gates is making all the things that these supply chains are causing? Or rather, like, you know, fake meat, I just want to show you this in case you didn't know about this. It's disgusting. Bio milk. 
unlocking human potential with breakthrough mammalian technology. Right? This is another Gates manipulation. In my, I mean, he's involved at the very least. Bio milk. Right, so we're getting rid of this while we make a fake milk. We're getting rid of meat. We're making fake meat. Right? Or whether you think they're doing these because of the direction they think we should be going in or not, there's an obvious profit motive here. Isn't that alarming? It should be. Well, here is another example. A disaster. And this is not old. This is not another. This is another one of these happening. They dropped like flies, apparently. 50 cows died in, in, died in a few minutes, apparently, one after the other, under the horrifying gaze of the breeder, the, which they don't understand. So what are we talking about? Of course, they're going to, oh, climate change. Well, no, it's not any hotter than it was before. The point is they just randomly died. And don't forget, we were just discussing how they were saying that we need to reduce the cattle. That's exactly the main point they were making. It's expected to require a 30% reduction in overall livestock. So exactly what they want to happen just randomly, accidentally happened over here. For the third or fourth time I've seen, I'm not suggesting I know for sure what happened, but isn't it a little bit weird and coincidental? Here's an article from the location where they're talking about it. A disaster. They dropped like flies. 50, 50 cows died in a few minutes, one after the other. No one knows why. In Italy. Over and over, this keeps happening. What a coincidence. Here's a, 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 a James Melville shares and a farmer from Ireland giving you a little bit of insight about what's going on. Here, just near Ashbourne. Um, this land, this grade one tillage land, has been producing fabulous crops for a long many years uh, Chagas figures put Irish tillage at carbon neutral or very close to it that's the target for agriculture for 2050 and Irish grain growers are there 28 years before that target date you'd think that would mean something, but obviously not. This land has been designated for solar panels next year, in, going into the production of energy and electricity. Now, look, I'm not going to argue that we shouldn't be at least at least trying to use different energies, green energies and so on, right? I've Long before the, the manipulation around this, because this is the same point I make about sustainability, right? The idea of anything green has now become Democrat and conspiracy theory. And the point is, that's ridiculous, guys. Green energy, at the very least, the idea of what that's supposed to represent should be something we want to do because fossil fuels and the use of them are, are bad for the planet. That's not a climate change conversation. That's just simple reality. But see, now the word sustainable and green have all become bad news things. And that's part of the agenda that you might be falling for if you now think those words are bad. They're not doing those things. They're not actually going driving for sustainability. They're not actually driving for green anything. That's my opinion. Sort of like when you can see the green movement in and of itself has been co-opted by corporations that are driving the worst of the worst a long time ago. It's all a big psyop manipulation that's very easy to prove. The point is that these energies shouldn't be forced on anybody, but should be like bottom line is if you think that they can transition to that, then, then lean into them, use new funding and lean into these things and can then show people that it can be used and so on. But to just remove them from their livelihood and force them to be so, to, to their land to be used for something else. That has nothing to do with what's right for them. That is a decision whether they may think they're doing the right thing or not that was made independent of these people and whether it affects their lives because they've decided what the next step is. That's not any, that's not even remotely the idea of freedom, choice, informed consent. However you want to angle this from whatever discussion, none of that matters to them. 
And this is a perfect example of that. And at the same time, on top of the first point, reducing the food supply in real time. To power the big data sensors or solar panels next year, in going into the production of energy and electricity to power the big data sensors, the big industries, to power the uh, Dublin airport so airplanes can be kept in the air, no cuts there. But we have to take the cut here. This land that's also another great point that we made a moment ago, you know, so so it, that's going to be used to help keep airplanes in the air. And we're going to argue that mass, you know, international airline flights and entire airports are are producing less seriously than them growing, growing wheat and, and corn or whatever else are growing. I just threw out random things, but I mean, that is the kind of thing we're seeing. It's focused on them specifically, and that affects the supply chain at a time when they want to use that to justify the next step, not on what's actually causing even what they say is the problem. How does that make sense? None of this makes sense. Would have been growing oats next year that was produced porridge for the breakfast tables of many, many Irish families and consumers. Not going to happen. The produce of this land will be replaced by imports from third countries unregulated imports I might add most of it genetically modified most of it the production system does not match in any way the EU and this crops specifications but everyone thinks this is fine that this is progress only about 10 or 12 percent of the land in Ireland is of the quality to grow grain happen the produce of this land will be replaced by imports from third countries, unregulated imports I might add. Most of it genetically modified. Most of it, the production system does not match in any way the EU and this crop's specifications. But everyone thinks this is fine, that this is progress. Only about 10 or 12 percent of the land in Ireland is of the quality to grow grain. The rest of it is not. So why is all these solar panels not being put on this land that's marginal? Bringing well- right. So the point is, why choose the land that's most important for feeding people as opposed to any number of other locations that could be used? There's an obvious coordination to the actions they're taking that directly lead to the reduction of food supply. And and we're going to get to energy next. But here's another example. You might have seen this story. This is Rebel News from USA. Armed federal agents recently raided Amos Miller's organic farm in Pennsylvania. They demanded that he cease farming and crippled him with $300,000 in fines. He told me that an alliance between big government and industry are making it harder for farmers to farm. I'm Jeremy Lafredo for Rebel News in Burdenhen, Pennsylvania, a remote Amish village home to Miller's Organic Meat and Dairy Farm. Recently, armed federal agents raided the farm and demand they cease operations and pay over $300,000 in fines. Miller's operation is entirely holistic and natural. Whether it's the water buffalo, the cattle, or even the camels, the animals live, as Miller argues, how God intended and eat fully organic diets, munching only on wild plants, flowers, and the bugs in their pasture. The federal government is arguing that Miller's Farm isn't adhering to federal regulatory requirements for food. 
Miller, his community, and his thousands of customers counter that the federal government mandates food be prepared in ways that make it less healthy and nutritious. Federal agents continue to pay him visits and threaten his farm, crippling the business economically with over $300,000 in outstanding fines. What's interesting to me is that before this COVID madness, they used to let Amish communities to their own, like they let them live their own lives, even though there was all sorts of things, you know, the uh, the uh, um, un, unpasteurized milk, you know, all these things which outside of their communities, well, you can't do that. Can't risk your own life making your own choices. Oh, no. But. Today, suddenly that changes. Why? Well, because they clearly recognize that these Amish communities serve as another outlet of potential food and resources at a time when they're cutting those away from everybody and what you depend on the government. Just my perspective. Why else would you attack this Amish community in the middle of a, di- a direct targeted attack on supply chains? Because they are could potentially sell to people around them. Or, I mean, or, however you want to look at this, it's every, this doesn't make any sense at a time when you are alternatively saying we're having a struggle with supply chains because Russia. Meanwhile, let's attack the farms around us and say that's not Russia's. I mean, how, how do you make sense of this? The only way you can think that their narrative makes sense is if you're literally not paying attention to anything but what they say. Veteran journalist Michael Yoder is a longtime customer of Amos Miller's farm and has been closely covering the story for a local newspaper. Yoder explained that he believes the government wants to use a successful, independent farmer as an example for other American farmers who aren't dependent on some larger institutions such as the federal government or a multinational corporation. Personally, I think they want to use Amos as an example to make sure that other farmers, especially farmers in this area, do not try to do what Amos has done, which is to sell directly to the customers. When you have direct-to-consumer right from the farmer to the customer, there's less control that the government can have over the operation. He also explained that the Amish farmland in Lancaster, Pennsylvania is some of the most productive, highest-yielding, non-irrigated farmland in the world, and that the people there have a special familial connection to the land land that special interests would very much enjoy to get their hands on. This land has been in production for 250 years. Many of the farms are still in the same families. The farmers are tied, literally tied to the land and want to do the best for the land. They're not out there to try to destroy the land. They're they want their land to be productive and they know that if it's more productive then they can feed more people. The courts are demanding Miller fork over more than a quarter million dollars in fines and cease operations until he begins to go through USDA processors to process his meat. It's Miller's view that these government-approved facilities are actually less sanitary than his own private operation. That is a 100% fact. Now, I'm not saying I know what his operation is, but just on a general point, the what goes on in those disgusting, overcrowded, over-diseased plants where they, where they farm these cattle... It, by the way, as, as a chef, I've been there. I've watched the process, even the, even the modern process, which is far more technological, which by you know, the earlier process, which blunt hammer tool kind of stuff was horrific. It is still nightmarish to watch how they deal with this and the, this emotionless, disgusting, like murder marks. To these, it's horrible. As, even as a chef, it's horrible. And the point is not just that it's horrible from like an emotional standpoint, but that it is wildly unsanitary, wildly diseased, and they just pump them full of hormones and, and, and all sorts of things, to, or rather uh, antibiotics, to stop this from being a problem. And even then still they have problems. And they're all riddled with cancers and gross growths. And I mean, it's horrible because they stand there in the same place and they barely get to do... He, he has a farm where they get to naturally you know, 
live their lives. And then he deals with them in his area, which I can almost promise you, even just based on this picture, is light years better than what you're going to see at these farms. Even the gigantic ones. I've seen them myself. So I can't speak to his personal location, but I know that what they want to force his cow to go through would for sure put them at further risk. Especially since we know these places don't care about the kind of stuff that organic and natural people do. So they just are deciding for you what they want you to think health means. Which I saw as extraordinarily clean. And he argued the way the government facilities process meat actually kills or, quote, sanitizes important nutrients. Miller explained that because his farm doesn't use chemical fertilizers, herbicides, or patented seeds, which are chiefly manufactured by industry giants with strong ties to the government, they're using the power of the government to shut him down. I think the problem we're having in this country is that corporate America is taking over. And the, the corporations, I think, put the uh, uh, people in government through lobbying. They're having the government on their side and basically making it hard for farmers to be farmers. Miller is legally arguing that because he's selling to what he calls a private food club, not the open market, certain rules and regulations of the federal government don't apply to him. And the customers are buying meat and dairy from his farm explicitly because the food isn't processed and manufactured at these giant industrial facilities and instead are grown, fed, and processed right here on the land. Some come from Florida, California, North Carolina, basically all over. Uh, they are seeking uh, nutrient-dense foods, raw meat, uh, raw buffalo milk, raw camel milk. They, so far they trust us for uh, the animals being out on grass and they can actually see the color in, in, in the, uh, the fat of the beef uh, and the milk. Actually, there's no food coloring added. It has its nice color and that actually comes from the nutrient density of the animals feeding grass. I think customers come here because they know that they can get an honest product that they know is being produced here. It's not just words on a label that say it's organic or it's, it's local, that you can come here and you can see this is as local as it gets. That's exactly the point. And this is, I think, the, the crux of the issue. They don't want you dealing with community-level infrastructure. They don't want you having peer-to-peer -peer relationships. They don't want you going to your neighbor and buying eggs. They don't want you going to your other neighbor and getting milk and then giving them clothes you might have made. They don't want any of that. They want you entirely dependent on the infrastructure they're building for you, which is the technocratic panopticon, where you own nothing, you've never been happier, right? They want you to be in a position where you lean into them for everything and trust what they tell you is the right step to take next. From a specific food discussion, it's so very obvious they don't want this kind of relationship. That's why they're shutting this stuff down everywhere. What you should be doing right now, if you want to protest these actions, is going the other direction. Find your local community people. Find your people with chickens and cattle and, you know, the, the local butcher. Find these people and do that. Don't go to the local supermarket. Don't go to the Walmart. Don't go to the Whole Foods. Go to the places around here or your local area and promote them. Tell your neighbors about them. Maybe it'll be a little more difficult, right? But that's the things we need to start shaving away from our daily routine. You know, let's be like fighting COVID lockdowns and mask mandates, but you go, well, I really want my Frappuccino from Starbucks. So, you know, nope, that's a fail right there. Today is when we make these hard choices. We need to go forward and say, you know what? I'm going to not get that because they made me wear a mask. Start taking these stances. Vote with your dollar. Vote with your actions. Because truly, guys, if you're paying attention, you should know by now it's the only vote that matters. But going forward, 
in regard to the insect conversation, which I know is a lot is everywhere today. And I haven't really focused on this. Not that it's not important. There's just an endless amount of things to focus on today. But this is one of these clips about basically normalizing the idea of using insects in daily uh, consumption. Now, one thing I want to point out is there's a lot of research, and rightly so, around the, the dangers these insects can carry. Now, that's true. But what's important to also understand is there's entire cultures around the world that very clearly do eat insects all the time. Now, that doesn't really make sense with this kind of rising narrative that all of them will put you at risk with illnesses and all sorts of other things. Now, the problem here is that it should be choice. That's the only thing that matters to me. The idea that they're subtly including these things with different cricket, cricket flower and, you know, whatever else it's, well, then, then that doesn't, if it's not, if it's subtle, that's a little bit manipulative. The point is that if you need to choose to be able to want these, if you see products that say they include cricket, this or other insects, then choose not to get them. But the moment they start making this your reality or putting them in front of your children and trying to convince them it's the right, that's where the line needs to be drawn. That's inappropriate. Right. The idea you're, you are not right now, you're trying to propagandize these kids, even if you think you're doing the right thing. But I think it's interesting to see this weird pushback on the idea of something that is certainly something other places around the world very clearly do, including crickets and other things. Or I, f- I forget, is it Thailand or somewhere else where there's even places where they have delicacies like like chocolate covered crickets and so on. I mean, it's not hard to find. So we need to be open about the entire conversation here, but I cannot miss the obvious agenda of pushing this on us now. And I think that obviously relates back to the idea of their weird focus on cattle specifically, or the idea that that's the next step to take. It's not their choice to make guys, but that's all of this comes back to the idea that they've decided for you what they think the right next step is, or if that's even what you believe they care, but here's the classroom. You've never eaten a cricket before? No, you tried. You know what I find far more disconcerting and just upsetting that they're all wearing masks, damn it. I mean, uh, apparently not all of them, which is interesting, but the fact that they're even having those masks on means that this is, I mean, that's dangerous. You are literally hurting these children every moment that's happening. There is no possible benefit to this unless they're dealing with something the mask can actually stop, not viruses. Not statistically significant against stopping transmission. That's the simple body of evidence. It's very clear, peer-reviewed science, and on and on and on. Then it also talks about the increase of carbon dioxide and the Fogan effect and all these different things that hurt them and increase your risk of infection in general, according to the only peer-reviewed science on cloth masks, which I can tell most of them are wearing. But who cares, though, right? Because narrative. Now let's talk crickets. So there's this, uh, there's this company right here in Manitoba. They're called Prairie Cricket Farms. And what they do is they farm crickets and they put them in nice little bags and then you can eat the crickets. The point is clear that this is just about getting them normalized with the idea. And, you know, there's all sorts of conversations about the problems these can create or whether your body can digest what's needed and so on. Again, it all comes down to choice, guys. There's plenty of people around the world that very clearly include these things in their normal diet. There's plenty of cultures that do. 
So we can't pretend like it's just wild. The point is about whether they're forcing it on you and whether or not it is an actual uh, equivalence to what we're currently doing. That's the point. And I think no to all of those, except the reality that there are some acceptable uses for places around the world. Like, I'm just trying to be objective about it because I do see a lot of discussions around this acting like every possible use of this is completely dangerous and bad. And I just don't find that possible if we have entire cultures that have used these for centuries, right? But just it's open. the reality is that it's very concerning to me. This is being pushed on your kill, your children at a time where it's not really about just opening their minds to other cultures. It's about tricking them into thinking this is the next step because they've already decided that for us. And that concerns me a lot. But moving over into the other part of this manufactured crisis is the idea of the energy crisis. And don't forget, the other angle of this is water. There's a great uh, article on Corbett Report that I just shared the other day. We've already done a lot of focus on the water part of it, so we're going to put that off today. But all of these are manufactured, guys. You don't get billions and billions and billions of dollars for water infrastructure over the last decade and then act like you have a water infrastructure problem today. California, New York, pretty much every state in this country. EPA gives them millions of dollars, potentially billions every year, and then they go, we need more money for water infrastructure. Well, what happened last time? Literally nothing, and you can prove that. But that's the point. But here we go to the energy problem. Bernie's tweets points out, it's all planned. Quote, according to Christina Figueres from the World Economic Forum, former head of the UN Climate Change Convention, this is the first time in history, she says, of mankind that we are setting ourselves the task. So they're setting themselves the task of intentionally, within a defined period of time, changing the economic development model that has resigned, reigned since the Industrial Revolution. So do we vote for that? Who voted for her? Why do they get to decide what the world's going to do economically? Because that's where this all goes. They're not even hiding this anymore. They're stakeholder capitalism, which means the people that are, have the stake in the world, not you, of course, get to make choices about the direction. And they still pretend like democracy and whatever their buzzwords they throw at you, even though democracy, should, mob rule should be won't anyway. But at the end of the day, they're acting like your word, your thought has any bearing on this. And, it's, and they're proving that's not true when they go, we've given ourselves the task of intentionally changing the economic development model. And then when they point to all the disruption and chaos that's happening, it's Russia's fault. As we openly say that what we're doing is our, is our direction and choice, right? Now, don't forget, especially in places like the UK, we have examples of huge energy bills, like 10,000, 20,000. I mean, it's unbelievable. I almost didn't think it was real until I had to verify it. These thousands of dollar energy bills that moments ago were like $100 are everywhere. Why? Well, because of whatever situation that they have no part in, except they're admitting over here that they're the one that did it, right? Does make sense. But here's the most important part. Sunak rejected plans by energy companies. So the energy companies pr proposed plans before this to freeze energy bills at less than 2,000 pounds. And they rejected the plan. So they knew that this was going to be happening and they rejected a plan to pause your bill when it went over a certain amount. Right, because they're worried about you. They care about you. It's a manufactured crisis. German officials are now trashing cost of living protesters as enemies of the state. Exactly like Biden says, if you're a disinformation, you're, you know, you're, you're literally a terrorist or the Ukrainian government just said, along with the State Department, if you spread what they say is misinformation, you're a terrorist and you get to be war criminals. You get to go, you know, you could potentially be put to death is the point. German officials are calling anybody protesting their manufactured problem, or rather, even if you don't think it's manufactured, the problem they've created or the problem that's going, 
no matter how you frame this, people are protesting the fact that their cost of living is rising. How in the world can you frame that as an enemy of the state? Well, because they can see you and they can see that it's the state that has caused this problem. And that's why you call them enemies of the state, because you've created enemies because what you did to them. But they don't want to make that clear. The bottom line is anybody speaking up in contrast to what they're doing is now an enemy of the state. Germany is on a fast track to being exactly what they pretend they never were. That's a problem. But so, too, are all the rest of these governments that pretend they're democracies. They are authoritarian countries that are showing their colors as they pull out the rug from underneath you right now. Here is Bernie's tweets again showing you this is what happens when you cancel your direct debit with the energy suppliers. Okay, so you're in a position where your blast bill was $10,000 and you go, whoa. Well, I'm going to stop that from happening. I'm not going to allow you to take it out of my bank account. And then guess what? They send you a warrant applied to be forced for applying for forced entry to install a smart meter operating as pay as you go. First of all, smart meters are rife with all sorts of radiation and, and cancer potential technology that we've plenty of studies have shown. There's a dramatic increase in EMF and all the problems they go along with also can be remotely shut off or turned on. Why would you want that? So under the guise that you need to pay as you go, I don't know why you wouldn't be able to do that in the same situation they already have. Just pay for what you use. No, the, po the point is they want control over your finances, control over how much energy you use, and be able to shut that off. You don't do as you're told. It says existing smart meters will be set to pay as you go. Millions will have no energy this winter. But the idea that because you don't want them to have direct access to your bank account, that they're going to they're going to a forced entry installation of a smart meter. This is the forced direction of technocracy. This all leads into the same 5G discussion, all of it, because that's what they operate on. In China, the same thing we're seeing is happening. The major manufacturing hub in, in uh, Sichuan province has ordered all factories to shut down for six days. Why? To ease the power shortage. You see, this is not just one place, one country. The world and the governments involved with the World Economic Forum are all in lockstep here, guys. Sichuan is a key for a semiconductor, what a shock, solar panel industries, and China lithium mining hub. Very interesting. Here's another example, different location. Shanghai suspends power for two days due to electricity shortages. Where's all this coming from? Why now? Tesla and other manufacturers are being affected by this. Well, here is what they're telling you from the World Economic Forum, or rather specifically the World Government Summit. Same point here. The financial system is broken, they say. The solutions requires new rules. Well, look at that. So you need to reimagine it, but you can't do that until it's broken. You can't rebuild something until it's broken, right? Build back better doesn't happen until you destroy what's there. So here we are. Well, we're watching them destroy the financial system, which, by the way, has never been perfect or even logical, in my opinion, but that's not the point. They're burning it down so they can rationalize to you the new thing they're pushing, into, pushing on top of you right now. That's not the one. Hold on. Let me make sure it's the right one. What? Yeah, this is it. Okay. A world order is always the, what underpins a world order is always the financial system. Hmm. Uh, I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And one of the worst moves ever made in this country, right? That, that was the beginning of the fiat currency, which is what's been used to destroy everything. So I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And who decided that? The World Government Forum, apparently. 
Like, there, nobody's voting for this. And why are they announcing this on a world stage? How in the world can you not see the coordinated effort of the world's governments to initiate this direction? The, I mean, you can't pretend that you have democracy where you can vote for things and they have to do what you say and then have them make choices on a world stage that affect everybody simultaneously with no voting whatsoever. How do we pretend the voting even has a factor here, guys? We need to stop playing adult Santa Claus here and realize that we're being played. And the new one, the new accounting is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having a almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. You know, except the military and black ops and so on. That won't happen, though. But your finances will be right in front of them, though. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens, in my opinion. And also, you know, the gain-of-function research, that stuff won't be documented, though. But listen to this next point. This is always how they play the game. You know, basically outline how the tyrannical, technocratic, elitist system is going to take over your life, but then give lip service to how, well, we got to be careful that it doesn't hurt average people. Yeah, do you really care about that, or is that just a talking point? Or between states and citizens, in my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights. Oh, there we go. And it's because it's a, it's a lead-in to creating the new constitution. Right. They have been desperate to get rid of the old one for a long time. A digital constitution. If we're going to have digital money. Uh, but also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private. But what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first... The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. Hmm. Well, there you go. All, you know, so if we frame it like that on Twitter, we're conspiracy theorists. But they can sit on the world summit stage and openly say that's happening whether you like it or not. And that's, that's normal, though. It just it can't be more clear. I've never seen this more clear in my life. Pakistan. Protests in the streets after citizens received energy bills, even through even though blackouts are 12, basically 12 hours per day. So half the day you've got no power, but their bills are higher than ever. Huge risks taken here, given the government's situ- uh, statement on using digital ID to deny banking for those who disagree with the government. So that's already happening. So these people that are protesting are probably going to get their bank accounts shut down. Digital IDs and vaccine passports being the cause. The point is people have had enough. This is what we're watching. What she just described is what you're seeing. The transition to the new system. People, the world around, are fed up. And all they're going to do is push harder. Now, here is their solution, at least before we get to the digital ID solution. This is about saying, oh, whoa, you can't pay your bills? Let's, let's ignore for the moment that we created that situation. Oh, here, here's, here's, we'll help you. Energy firms propose a proposal of 100 billion pounds in loans from government to cap home energy bills. Great. So you create a problem where you charge us more than we should have and then say, here, we'll give you a loan to take care of that problem we created. Debt slavery is a risk they may be willing to take, it says. It kicks the can down the road, but will stop half the country being in fuel poverty. No mention of business help, though. Without them, many will collapse. Now, the government, understand, using this money to do that is still coming out of your pocket. This is transfer of wealth. 
Here's another example. Supermarket in Iceland has rolled out an interest-free loan scheme to help shoppers stock up on everyday items in the cost of living crisis. So they create a crisis. They increase the price. They roll they, you know, up the prices in general, or in this case, maybe they have to because of the supply chain. And they just say, hey, well, just let's put you in debt. Take out a loan. We'll do it ourselves. Why does this, this is the, the this is a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to compound the problem by doing this, which is only going to make it collapse faster. That's the point in my mind. Here is the next solution, as Bernie, Bernie Sweets points out. UBI is the agenda. When your government provides your income, they will have total control. Three billion people form the global workforce, with one billion losing jobs to AI within 10 years. So the narrative goes. You are the collateral damage of the fourth industrial revolution, which don't forget is why I played in the beginning. They've told you about what this was going to be, implantables and nanotechnology, and that's what they keep pointing at to the fourth industrial revolution. What Klaus Schwab has said since COVID-19 began is we are currently in the fourth industrial revolution. Don't miss that point, because that's what they're telling you is happening now. As it says... Countries around the world can introduce universal basic income to help with the problem, known as UBI, basically transferring cash to everybody. Finland paid 2,000 unemployed people, 560 euro a month, I think, for two years. They could find a job if they wanted, but they still got UBI whether or not they got it. After two years, UBI recipients were happier and healthier than a control group, so we're told. The bottom line is they're trying to normalize the idea. Don't worry. You don't have to work. You don't have to even think. We'll just give you money and you can do whatever you want until we call on you, right? Until we decide that you need to take action, like locking down or, you know, jumping in for the greater good of society and doing whatever we say next is necessary, you know, because you don't have control anymore. You're not the one earning anything. You don't have control over your life. They have control of your life. You owe nothing and you've never been happier, right? Well, here's another example. Lloyd's Bank aims to be UK's biggest private landlord by 2025. Well, how is that happening? says it seeks to become UK's biggest landlord. As households choose between mortgage, eating, or heating, banks will help you by simply repossessing your house, renting it back to you. No big deal. In a sort of you owe nothing sort of way. Exactly. This is another example of them creating the problem. They then act like they're solving. This is a problem. They are removing your control over your life one by one. GB News points out around 6 million Brits have received to receive 150 pound payment as cost of living crisis continues to bite. So they're already starting UBI in the UK right now. This is the means to the end, guys. They are pushing you in this direction. Now, in Canada, we've already seen the app, which makes no sense in the guise of what they gave it to you for, helping fight COVID. And then people come up and they go, well, I got all my shots and here's my proof of vaccination. Well, no, you can't come in without the app. Well, what is, how, why, why does that make sense? If it's about COVID, why do I need the app? Well, because that's what they've decided. So it's always about a means to an end to the vaccine passport, digital ID, and in the future they're creating. This points out in the same context of the economic crisis they're creating. This says, my new friend Nancy S. and I got a pair of matching fines today for $6,255. All for simply not downloading the Arrive Can app. That's it. Now, all these people in most, I can't speak to these two specifically, but the cases I've already shown you, especially the guy in the wheelchair, he had four shots had all the proof of vaccination, even had a previous test, all the paperwork, and they wouldn't let him in the country because he did not have the app. How do you make that about safety in COVID-19? Here's another example. My first time home to Canada in more than three years, and they got fined also $6,255 at Pearson for not agreeing 
to the terms of service of the ArriveCan app and not just closing the vaccination status. There you go. Just finding people. So what if it's about safety, why does $6,255 make anybody safer? Right? So just pay me six grand and you can go in and get risk people's lives? Well, we know that's not what's happening. They're not actually in danger. Nobody seems to be really, at the end of the day, by and large. So it's really about taking money from people's pockets and forcing them into a digital world. I mean, how else do you see that? If it's about safety, $6,000 isn't going to make people safer. And then on top of that, Reuters reports on August 12th, hackers, hacker offers to sell data of 48 million users in Shanghai. Why? Because of the COVID app. You know, that one they swore up and down was going to be completely secure and wouldn't use people's data and blah, blah, blah. Well, oh, yeah. hacker offers to sell it. Now, is it a hacker? Is it the government? Who knows? The point is, this is what happens. They're collecting all that data, which then gets used, whether by stolen you people, uh, stolen entities or by the government, because it's the most profitable thing on the planet right now. But don't think about that until they prove to you that it's happening. Now, digital IDs are the obvious next step here. It's already happening around the world. And she points out, this is how it starts. Pakistan's interior minister has warned supporters of Emran Khan that will have their biometric identity cards, which already exist in Pakistan, blocked. So you won't be able to access the things you need because your biometric identity card has now been blocked. That's your technocratic future that's already happening in Pakistan. And therefore, be unable to operate their bank accounts. So you can't even access your money anymore. How many times have we warned you this was the direction that was coming rapidly? This isn't isn't even about COVID-19, guys. This is about politics. It says it's not even like you haven't been warned. Hecklers and harassers may find themselves in hot water. They are literally saying people that are politically engaged in ways they don't like are going to have their entire lives shut down because they've allowed themselves to be pushed in to the technocratic panopticon. Why would you see something like this, which a country that the U.S. supports and not worry that we're being driven into the same thing? Or at the very least, that whoever's next in power, let's say, or who's in power now might just decide to do the same thing. It's all there. James Melville points out something we've already shown you. Here's the World Economic Forum vision of a digital ID. It's just conspiracy theory, right? Nothing to see here whatsoever. I mean, look at the way this breaks down. Your digital identity relates to healthcare, financial services, food and sustainability, travel, human response, e-commerce, social platforms, e-governance. Your entire life hinges on this digital identification, which they can then use to shut your life down. And as Nisha points out, too late. Get your My Colorado Digital ID available in the Apple Store. Right? It's all now, maybe it's not forced just yet, but guess what? This moment that they need to, Colorado will make that required to do something simple, you know, to access something that everybody wants. Then it will become necessary to access something everybody needs. Then it will become a detriment if you don't get it, and then they'll force everyone to get it. We've seen this every single time. Now, here's another clip from GB News. Many opposed vaccine passports because they didn't want compulsory digital identification with all the potential for abuse entailed. Well, guess what, though? The online safety bill with their so-called age checks, are essentially a backdoor for digital ID. Look at that. What a surprise. Another angle to force it in from a different justification. I took that to mean if you're going to protect the under-18s, you need them to personally verify themselves online. That, for me, sounds like a slippery slope to absolutely every single one of us having to declare our identification via digital means. Is that how you read it? 
it's absolutely what the problem is with this uh, digital ID to verify who you are. Let's say there's a couple of very problem problematic things. One thing we have to say in the world, some bad things happen. We have laws, as Mark says. Parents have to take a role here. Right. Uh, and it, indeed, there are some there is some level of self-responsibility in any free society. You know, let's remember that. It's not just everybody else's fault all the time is what they want you to be doing right now. The government adds danger to your life. I've always said that. I could be, you, you could tell me I'm wrong. My belief is that danger is ubiquitous. There's always danger. That's life. The government just adds more danger to your life. The, under a guise of removing danger from you. But when's the last time the government stepped in and stopped the mugger from stealing your purse? When's the last time there were police present when you were actually having a crime committed? You know, in many cases, there something just coincidentally happens that way. But by and large, they're following up after things happen and arguably investigating. I mean, the reality of this is that there ultimately is more danger created by what they're doing to your life. The crackdown from what they're doing, what they're causing around the world, which then comes back to you over and over and over. That's my opinion. Really, truly terrible things. But as adults, we face the prospect that if we try to eliminate what someone thinks is a harm, we end up suffocating everything. We should just remember the thing about police resources as well. Only two weeks ago, the Bad Law Project saw a situation where Harry Miller and Lawrence Fox ended up going along and eight police officers arrested an, a veteran for reposting something that had been on social media already. Now, that's before before the online safety bill. When big tech companies, and we should be clear about this, the government are cowardly and dishonestly outsourcing censorship. They're saying they don't want to do it. They're going to mandate it to big tech. When they end up doing that, we face a really terrible prospect. If we think about all of the doctors, scientists, pundits that have been uh, taken down, censored, just recently, Dr. Tony Hinton, if you talk about ourselves at Together Declaration, when we talked about kids' jabs and the fact they don't need it, we've been getting multiple warnings, people have been suspended. Um, what we need is to have robust, open debate and discussion. That's what a free society is about. Liz Truss should sack it mm. and look at ways that they can deal with things, but also be realistic. There's also a parental responsibility and things that are illegal have to be handled. If we're honest, let's not be technophobes or technophiles about this. It's always been the case that there's been a question about younger underage people and questions like this in society. His point is what they're using on the online safety bill here is the justification that children are being put in danger by not just the things they allow all the time on these platforms like pedophilia and, and grooming and all the things which they barely turn to look at, but more so about the dangerous medical misinformation and the radicalization for the right, whatever they're framing it as. The point is children are in danger, but quickly put that thing in their arm and put masks on them, right? They clearly care about the children, don't they? It's all about the digital ID guys. And that's, I'm absolutely convinced about that. Here's the next part. You thought your government was listening? It is, but not to you. Here's Steve Baker telling you, or rather Julia here, all about your government's plans to control you. And yes, this includes digital ID. We're now looking at digital IDs. We're looking at a social credit system being trialed to get people to deal with obesity. Uh, central bank digital currencies will enable the state to enormously intervene in our lives. And, you know, reasonably, you can sit back and say, wow, what is going on with the change in the relationship between the individual and the state. And uh, I can see why some people are quite frightened. I have to say, I mean, neither you nor I are conspiracy theorists at all. Um, uh, but I have to say that they, the government is giving an awful lot of, uh, of ammunition to conspiracy theorists who are saying. That yes, yes, because they're correct. 
Now, not broadly every conspiracy theorist, everybody want to call conspiracy theorists, but the general consensus about what conspiracy theorists were pushing have, by and large, turned out to be exactly what happened. Now, people like Scott Adams are going, you just got lucky. You guessed and got lucky. And it's like, come on, what a hubris, what, what a ridiculous argument, full of hubris, to act like you're right even though you're wrong, and we're wrong even though we were right. It's ridiculous. This is what's coming. A little bit far-fetched, and you might be thinking that this kind of authoritarian control over your money is not going to be anything that we'll see in the future. Unfortunately, this is already implemented in the world. In China, the government is already able to program what its citizens can and cannot spend their money on. Over the last few years, they've limited millions of people's ability to buy things like train tickets, passports, and luxury goods. They're able to do this because of China's intense social credit system that links each person's identity and actions to their bank account, allowing the government to see and to control everything a citizen does with their money. And it seems like the West is paying attention. In nations like Sweden, South Africa, and Canada, trials of programmable central bank currencies are already underway. In fact, almost half of the world's nations are at some stage of implementing this kind of programmable money, meaning no matter where in the world you live, this technology is likely only a few years away. Okay, so how does programmable money tie in with the personal carbon limit? Well, it all comes down to whether or not you've gone over your monthly usage, and if you have, there are two possible case scenarios for that. The most openly talked about penalty for a person going over their individual carbon limit is that they'd simply get charged for doing so, just the same as what happens to large companies today. Taken too many car trips this month, or bought a little bit too much meat? In that case, you'd simply get a bill at the end of each month from your government so you can pay the price of being a naughty citizen. As your entire carbon usage would be tracked by a government CBDC, there would be no way to hide how much carbon you've used. And since they now also hold the keys to your money, they won't even need to send you a bill for your excess usage. Potentially, they'll just automatically pull your fine from your bank account. That is exactly what we just described and exactly what they just made clear is the potential future. But they don't frame it as being because you don't say the right things or promote the right media. They make it out, they make it out to be like your whatever their narrative would be. But that's exactly what's being built out around us right now. How you know, China bad guy, except we're going to do exactly the same thing. Well, here's another example. Reuters Orwellian exactly facial recognition cameras in UK stores challenged by rights groups. This is July 26, 2022. This has already been happening. It's already there. They're already building out the panopticon around you. Here's another example from Mazda CX-60. These cars they're building. This is the SUV demonstrating new facial recognition systems enabled to access the car itself or maybe shut it down without your knowledge. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Tom from Mazda Gurus. And today I have roped in our lovely uh, guru, Sally. Hi, Sally. Hi to demonstrate the driver um, facial recognition feature here for the optimum steering wheel, driver's seat and wing mirror position on the new CX-60. So Sally, would you like to demonstrate how we get into it to begin with? We first of all go into our car settings and we go all the way down into driver personalization. Now what we have done is we've set, uh, moved Sally's seat all the way back and all the way down as far as possible. Sally's gonna add herself in as a new driver um, so just click OK on that, Sally. So we have to work out how tall or short Sally is, um, which we worked out is 162 centimetres. As soon as Sally hits start, the system... Hold on, Sally, let me zoom out. The system has told her to take off her glasses and caps and things like that so that the camera... Sally, where's the, where's the camera again? Just there. Up in the corner so it can see her face. As soon as Sally clicks start, everything should move. 
<laughs> taking its time. <laughs> so the seat's gone forward, it's gone up, the steering wheel has now adjusted. Lovely. Sally, how do you feel? Perfect. Perfect driving position, yeah? Lovely. Fantastic. There is a secondary feature to this. Um, so if you click OK on that, Sally, to save it. It will then ask Sally to look into the left and the right wing mirrors and it should then set those for her. So she's looked left and she's looked right. Do it again, Sally. There we go, it's worked. That has now set her wing mirrors for her as well. As simple as that. Again, Sally, how's the vision? Yeah. Yeah, that. looking good. See, the, the point here, guys, now, right, the first thing I said, was, or, ref, or the second thing, was reference to Vault 7, which we know these kind of technologically advanced cars have already been shown by Vault 7 releases from the CIA, from WikiLeaks, but about the CIA and others, that they can shut these things off remotely. There's even examples of people that died in pr prominent ways that were potential victims of that. The reality here is that this can easily be manipulated. Like, how, I mean, how about the fact that this thing only sets into 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 action when you prove it's you? But what about something that then suddenly decides it's not you? Or you know, however this works. The bottom line is there's a technological barrier between you and what's supposed to be yours, and that can be manipulated. But this is just a slow, creeping step in the direction of exactly what we're talking about. I'm not trying to act like this is inherently bad and dangerous. I personally think it is. I think I'm scared of all this stuff because of where I see it leading. I'm just simply pointing out this is a, me a means to which. The, the direction they're all taking in a rapidly uh, escalating direction that I don't even think most Americans want or people around the world. That it's the conversation that needs to be had. Well, let's finish off with the discussion of where this is going from a great reset direction from their own words. Here's Klaus Schwab. Thank you, Wittgenstein on the great reset. I said, no, the forum is a community of communities, a big global stakeholder communities, uh, community, we integrate uh, governments, business, international organizations, civil society, our uh, young global leaders, our global shapers, and I could go on. Um, we are also involved into about a um, hundred different activities or initiatives at this moment. All this will be integrated into a big work stream. Um, and uh, the Great Reset uh, will serve as, as a platform um, to integrate all the different stakeholders, to integrate all the different aspects. Uh, because if we talk about the Great Reset, we know we cannot uh, address all those issues in a very compartmentalized way. I think everything is interwoven. Uh, the fourth industrial revolution, for example, with the issue of the future of work, and so on and so on. Um, so uh, our work uh, in the forum will be very much determined uh, by an effort to create new ideas, uh, to present those new ideas at the annual meeting um, uh, 21, um, I want to highlight the book itself is much more an analysis of what's, what happened and what could happen and what will happen. Uh, but we have to find now the necessary responses. And here we need new innovative ideas and we have to integrate everybody into this process. It has to be an open process. So that's the reason why I'm so keen uh, to provide also a forward-looking dimension to this Great Reset Initiative by integrating the... 10,000 uh, global shapers, leaders between 20 and 30 years uh, old, 
um, who not only leaders, I mean, they represent uh, society uh, in 400 different cities of the world. Right. So not only is he talking about just, you know, as always, reimagining things that have you have no say on, but the idea that we're when he talks about him being inclusive and including everybody, he doesn't mean you. He's talking about including the people he deems at a high enough level to be considered. Right. So the global stakeholders and the leaders and those people, that's what he's talking about. Let's include all of them. But you don't have a say. These unelected technocrats are in these little circles deciding what you get to do and then trickling this down to the supposed leaders of these countries. This was a discussion before we got to where we are now. Now, here, here is the next part. Let's see. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's what we just played. Here's the next part. Same idea. And just to show you really quickly, I don't think it matters, actually. Yeah, so just this the next part is the Great Reset Initiative and ESGs and so on. I think for me it's the final transition from uh, short-term thinking to more long-term thinking and from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. Right, again, and that's not your choice. Right? What if I don't want to look long-term? Like the idea that these people are deciding what's right for everybody, whether or not you think so. That has to be the main point here. What gave them the right to decide your future? What gave the leaders of these countries the right to decide that's okay without your say-so? You know, either they're breaking the illusion that we ever had a say or something dramatically changed. You have to decide that. What's happening right now is not being voted for. It's just They're using moral imperatives and their righteous indignation to push forward what they claim is the right thing. And if you disagree, you're a terrible person. Even though what they're doing is the worst of the worst we can see in regard to COVID-19 and everything else. They're the ones causing the problems they're using to justify their terrible actions. Pretty sinister. Um, I think it's also uh, the transition, as it has been mentioned, from looking at um, material um, improvement of life to a more generalized uh, concept of uh, well-being. Uh, and so this is the same point they make in an article I'll show you next, that it's not about, you know, quality of life, but well, well-being, right? And they decide what that means. So, you know, you're creating an entirely new perception of what life means and whether you're happy based on the definition they set for what well-being is. This is it's not even secret. Why are you deciding what we as individuals should be switching over to, like transitioning everybody on the planet to thinking and perceiving things in a different way? I mean, think of the hubris there. Even if you think it's the right thing to do, I just, I'm just blown away by how ed- the, you can't miss the actual, undeniable, global conspiracy of people and governments working in lockstep to achieve what this is. Even if you think it, I mean, what's funny is on one angle, you could, they'll argue this is the right thing we should be doing this. But then when you point at it from a worldwide organized effort, they call you a conspiracy theorist. But didn't you just say this is the right thing? <laughs> it's like, again, everywhere you look today, that kind of contradiction is happening. Translated on a corporate level into uh, ESG measurement, uh, environmental, social, and good governance criteria. That's the criteria I mentioned a moment ago, where in the UK specifically, they just, they just rationalized that nuclear power and oil and gas and weapons, by the way, were all under the category of ESG because it leads to being able to spread freedom and democracy, which then leads to more choices being made in this direction. Like, think about the broken logic there. So the main criteria, the main problems, especially for environmental people like nuclear power, oil and gas, are then just shoehorned into being green because it leads to this. And that. I mean, my God, what is, what's the point of it? It's just about a, a means to an end. 
And one of the big, um, as an example, one of the big projects which we have uh, in the framework of this Great Reset Initiative is uh, to come up with a more unified measurement system uh, to allow to evaluate companies not only on the basis of short-term uh, financial returns, but um, how they perform in terms of social, uh, environmental, and good governance uh, criteria. So, so criteria that they define, right? You can say good things and then read the fine print and find out good things means murder and genocide, right? That's, that's a ridiculous point. But my point is that when they set the definitions, the words don't mean anything. Why they change the vaccine definition or her immunity definition or whatever other definition, the definition of pandemic. They make whatever they want to be so they can use those words when most people don't know they change the definition. Whether or not these things are actually good governance, actually sustainable and actually environmentally sound is completely up in the air when they're including oil, gas and nuclear technology. How ridiculous. Those are uh, two aspects. I think a third aspect is, and it has been mentioned in our discussion, I think is the need uh, to address those issues um, uh, from a, if I take a, uh, a country uh, level or even if I take the international level, um, so that we have a dialogue integrating all global uh, stakeholders uh, into uh, the discussion. Only the global stakeholders, though, right? You don't play a part. That's the main thing that has to stand out to us here, is it's not your choice. All of this is being decided for you. Now, here is a little quick montage of the Klaus connections with the omission of one very important one that I'll include afterward. Mastering the fourth industrial revolution. Change fueled by a digital revolution. Technologies emerging and intersecting at exponential speed and scale. Today, we are gathered here to contemplate, to contemplate whether we are in the stages of the fourth industrial revolution about to begin. The one thing certain about the next industrial revolution is like the three that preceded it. It will bring enormous change. There is excellent work being done. In right, change right now that we're going through and they're telling you that's because of what they're doing right there and today. And yet when you point out what it's causing in your life, they blame Russia. They blame you. They blame climate change. I don't think anybody who has two brain cells rubbed together who can see this stuff will walk away thinking that any of those things are true. The EU, the Commonwealth, and of course, the UN, which has a vital role in ensuring that no country is excluded from the wonderful benefits of this technology and the industrial revolution it is bringing about. The fourth industrial revolution, an all-consuming industrial revolution, 
right across the board, the speed of change a thousand times faster than during the first industrial revolution and affecting uh, all services, all products, all countries, all industries and all people. And of course, you know, they just I guess they just forgot to include this one, too. Tremendous business in the United States, and they're all here to see. Uh, I'll be making a speech, and then we'll be leaving shortly. Uh, but I think it's very important. Uh, the other's just a hoax. It's the witch hunt that's been going on for years, and it's frankly, it's disgraceful. But uh, we look forward to being here. Uh, Klaus has done a fantastic job. And again, we're meeting with the big, biggest companies in the world, the biggest businesses in the world, and world leaders all for the benefit of the United States. We look forward to the meetings. What a, why not have witnesses this program? Is that right on climate change, Mr. President? Well, I'm a big believer in uh, the environment. The environment to me is very important. Thank you. What Thank about you about yeah, same meeting, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty transparently left out of the exact same discussion of the same year and the same conversations, 2016. No big deal, though. <laughs> he just lied when he was there. The rest of them were telling the truth. We, we know that. Why? All right, that's the argument. Right. Well, he's going to say that because politics. OK, well, why do you assume that's not what the others were doing? The point is, it's an assumption, no matter how you spin it. The, all we can go on is what they say. And what he said right there was exactly what the rest of them are basically alluding to. That this is the direction we should be taking and the environment's important. Blah, 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 blah. Well, let's only pick one side or the other because politics and two party illusion will break our minds. The reality is all of them with warp speed to current by administration actions are leading you in this direction. I don't know why we can't see that or be honest about it. I mean, I do know why. But the problem is that we don't want to see it. Now, here is an example, also in 2016, of Klaus Schwab telling you, I'm just going to translate it for you since it's in French. I think it was French. Telling you what is going to be happening in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which, by the way, they said in 2016, they were discussing whether that was happening now. They're clearly telling you that's what we're in right now. Klaus has been saying that since 2020. So, when he's telling you in 2016 that during the time frame we're in now, you're going to be putting implants in your brain, then we need to start asking whether we can still call that conspiracy theory on Twitter, which they're still doing right now. Or, you know, microchips or in nanotechnology or smart dust or all the things that have been, a lot, been around since for a decade and whether or not they're currently using those things or they're in the injections or they're spraying them in the sky. All this crazy conspiracy theory of today, which will eventually be the reality of tomorrow, even though it's probably happening now. Today, at the end of this, we're talking about microchips can be implanted. When will that be? Certainly in the next 10 years. So by 2026. And the first will be the implant in their clothes. And then we can imagine that we'll implant them in our brains or in our skin. And in the end, maybe there will be a Direct communication between our brain and the digital world. Right, by 2026. That is two years from now. Are we going to pretend like the corporate media is going to act like you're going to have brain chips in your brain communicating with the digital IDs in two years? They'll call you a wild conspiracy theorist. Now, I'm not saying because he said it, therefore it's true. What I'm telling you is this is what they're pushing. This is what they're saying is what is happening. You saw Trudeau, Trump, Boris, all of them promoting the same direction. 
This is where they're going. This is what's happening. It's being ushered in in real time. And if you try to discuss things like nanotechnology, microchips, or implantables, you're called a wild conspiracy theorist. How do you make sense of that other than a lockstep agenda? And in the, in the end, will be, yeah, it's direct communication. What we see is a kind of fusion of the physical, digital, and biological world. That's what we keep telling you. The, the fusion between your digital ID, your biological body, and the physical world around you is what he's been telling you for a decade is what's coming now. Now, let's just quickly give you an example of people already doing chips in their bodies. Here's Sweden. This is a Al Jazeera video showing you that it's already happening at the very least in Sweden, but all around the world. That's the important thing to realize. The most cutting edge thing about Hannes Hörblad isn't the phone in his hand. It's the microchip actually in his hand. The tiny implant is the latest advance in a biohacking technology that is steadily becoming a part of normal life in Sweden. We have created a new implant which is not a chip it's a full device where you can add different lights different uh, vibration different functions sweden is a very tech literate society and i think this is the main explanation really why a lot of swedes are uh, adopting chip implants swedes haven't been shy about upgrading themselves with the new version thousands already have microchip implants that they use in their daily lives Waving their hand to gain entrance to the gym, confirm their ID or make payments. A short moment of pain, not putting them off, becoming part Swede, part machine. Hmm. Well, we've seen this building for a while in Sweden specifically, but now it's being rationalized all over the place. Now, don't forget, by the way, that we are a decade and a half away from smart dust the size of tenth, tenth the size of a piece of paper. That was in 2000, what was it, 2001 or you know, 2004, I believe, when the date where he said that was happening on that symposium we always point to. Back then, 10 years ago or more, they had the ability to have smart dust that was a tenth the size of a piece of paper that could run on your own body's heat. That was, this is not you can, easy to look up. This stuff's been openly discussed as the future for a long time, but yet today we're pointing at these big clunky microchips. That seems a little bit like a sandbag to me. That's a red herring. They say, look over there at this big microchip when they're already spraying smart dust in the sky. That's well, certainly something we should ask. I'm not saying I know that for sure. But if it's been there, why wouldn't it be being used? Especially when they argue that it's something we should be doing. I'll jump to this right now. The idea that the bioethics discussion, which has been had many times. This is from 2018. Compulsory moral bioenhancement should be covert. Some theorists argue that moral bioenhancement the idea of putting chips in your body or using smart dust ought to be compulsory. I take this argument one step further, arguing that if moral bioenhancement, I'll have the moral in front of it just as if that's a foregone conclusion, ought to be compulsory, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. This is to say that it is morally preferable for compulsory, forced moral bioenhancement to be administered without your knowing, without the recipient's knowledge, knowing that they are receiving the enhancement. His argument for this is that if moral by enhancement ought to be compulsory, then its administration is a matter of public health. You see how quickly that slippery slope works? And for this reason, should be governed by public health ethics, which to pretend this is ethics at all is a travesty. It says, I argue that the covert administration of compulsory moral bioenhancement program better conforms with public health ethics than does overt compulsory program, only because they don't even know what's happening. That's such a manipulation. It says, covert compulsory program promotes liberty 
utility, equality. Really? Thus, a covert compulsory moral violence program is morally preferable. Maybe you might find it morally preferable or just preferable to what you deal with. The reality, though, is this is only one. There's been many examples of them arguing that if we're going to do this, we might as well do it without their knowledge because they're too dumb to understand it. That's where we are right now. That's what's happening. And I argue that these things are being used while they're pointing at these big microchips and acting like that's the, the, the pinnacle of the technology. Not even close. You, and look, even if you're arguing things like this that have the accessibility and the, the functions they're claiming this does, you can have things that are barely perceivable by the eye that can do even more than that. I've already made this clear. So why are they using these big clunky things or pretending they are? Here's an example of Tesla owner implanting a chip in his hand to access his car. This is happening all around the country and all around the world, guys. It's already happening. So Seek for Truth points out, quote, World Economic Forum pushes augmented tech brain chips in an internet of bodies. This is what I'm going to show you next. This is where it's all going. They're pushing the idea that this is the next step while they call it conspiracy theory and we tell you, they're telling you it's the next step. Here's from the Times. Lawyers with brain chip implants would be better, faster, and cheaper. So this isn't even from COVID-19 angle, not even climate change. This is just going, well, let's put chips in their brain because they won't cost as much. That's where we are. August 15th, 2022. Lawyers could have electric chips implanted in their brain in a revolutionary step that may cut legal costs and reduce the number of solicitors needed to work on complex cases. Now, I'm not one that's going to defend lawyers for any reason, but at the end of the day, this is a dangerous step in a dangerous direction. Proponents of neurotechnology for lawyers have argued that corporate clients will press for the chips as an efficiency measure. Like that's enough to justify it, which would result city solicitors who routinely charge 1,500 pounds an hour, which is exorbitant, ridiculous, switching to billable units of attention, meaning there would need to be some database that collected the information from your brain and was then used in a system to allot the billable hours of attention you gave to them and then know when you're attentive to them or not. That is wildly technocratic and very alarming because it comes down to controlling your life and having something in your brain that can effectively do something. That's scary. Now, here is where the World Economic Forum is suggesting that microchipping children in a lot of other ways is the smart thing to do. Now, of course, this frame from Summit News or from Zero Hedge takes it in a very, very specific direction. Now, I'm going to make sure I'm very ob ob objective in showing you the full picture of what they're saying, even though I find it equally alarming. Augmented tech can change the way we live. August 16th. There's what it says. Exoskeletons, brain-computer interfaces. That's where we all see it going. Children in learning environment. Don't miss the overarching point of using this to manipulate children or using children. I find that to be very alarming. But it says, are we moving towards a brave new world? Interesting choice of words. As, a scare, as scary as chip implants may sound, they form part of a natural evolution that wearables once underwent. Right. And that's the point, is that's their evolution of these steps, coaxing you into their future. Just because that's what they made the natural evolution isn't naturally what happened. But it says, brain implants take us one step further and allow us to tap straight into the body's operating system. Allows us to tap into the body. What do you mean us? Are they speaking generally as the human race or as the World Economic Forum or as the government? I guess you just have to hope they mean the former. Yeah, the first one I said, yeah. That it's all just generalized and it allows you to tap into it. Well, no, it allows whoever has control over the implants or ability to tap into those implants, just tap straight into your body's operating system. 
Why would anybody want that? Or even let's just say that's not possible, but hackers might find a way. Why would you allow this? Companies like Neuralink. But Elon's going to save the world, though, too. Listen to Twitter. An indispensable wearable device may be implanted under the skin as a first approach or in the belly if needed. That's crazy. Well, that's already happening is the point. It's already happening. There may be other implants that influence the nerves of the peripheral nervous system or the information highways that connect the spinal cord and brain to organs and limbs. Electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve is interesting because that's right now one way they're pointing and saying, well, the effect of COVID-19, which is probably the vaccines, on the vagus nerve is what's causing long haul. It's a complete guess in the direction of like they're usually doing something they can't prove. But at the end of the day, there's something interestingly connected with the vagus nerve and the correlation, the correlation with COVID-19 discussion and what they're pointing at in the future of this. It's very strange. I haven't fleshed it out just yet, but the vagus nerve part of this, I find very interesting. It says, would you walk around with a chip in your head? That's conspiracy theory though, right? Just as with wearables, the question is whether implants will follow a similar evolution. Maybe health? <laughs> I don't know. That's a random thought. What about health? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, weird, a little too on the nose, don't you think? Maybe health, exactly, we're the only thing they're really talking about here, using biosecurity to drive this in. As a society, we need to make a choice. Do we, though? It says, do we want to accept human limitations? And there it is where they attack the very idea that your humanity is the problem. Do we want to just accept humanity? Yes. Yes, I do. And yes, most people do. The idea that you elitist technocrats want to create a world where you never die and never have to worry about these things or worry about the, the, the ominous overhanging concern that you might actually have to deal with your crimes in the afterlife. Maybe, maybe you want to run from that, but you know what? We're good with our lives and we're good with our uh, accountability. You know, the bottom line here is society doesn't need to make a choice. They're acting like we need to make a choice. And then acting like that choice is between changing humanity or moving the problems that they see as problems or allowing yourself to live a normal human life. If the idea of a chip in your body makes you cringe, consider all the pharmaceuticals you take without question. Who exactly are they talking about? Now, the problem is we have been manipulated into thinking that's safe and a lot of people are waking up to that. But you see how they point to the very problem they create? Why are lots of pharmaceuticals being taken the, the example of a good thing? Don't worry. Don't you take all these pharmaceuticals? Just put these chips in your body. What a ridiculous argument. It says the cradle-to-grave art installation in the British Museum confronts us visually with our pill-popping behavior. Like, that's not a good thing, guys. That's a bad problem that you guys have allowed, and now you're pointing at to justify why you just put a bunch of chips in your body instead. It displays a 13, I guess, mile-long fabric interwoven with 14,000 pills. A meter, probably. The estimated average prescribed to a British person in a lifetime. That's disgusting. Around 65% of the American children and teens with ADHD, something, by the way, which many people argue is not even real, meanwhile, are prescribed stimulant medication. Oh, okay. So that problem means we should do this problem too. That's some good logic, right? Why don't you point to the fact that we're murdering people overseas to justify why we should murder people in somewhere else? It doesn't make sense to point at a problem that's hurting people and justify why we should do something else that those same people progress or, or suggest, excuse me. It says we may consider electroceuticals small implants that mitigate symptoms of various disorders by sending out small electrical pulses. Become a cyborg. One compelling argument in favor of bioelectric medicine, or don't forget the bioenhancement discussion, is, the, is that the stimuli can be stopped at a flick of the switch. And so too can everything else. While drug effects linger in your body for a longer time. 
Right. And that's exactly the point of what we're talking about, the injection. But if you argue these injections currently linger in your body, you're a conspiracy theorist. But to make that argument here to push you to the next step is okay, though. Stop the flick of a switch. By who exactly? By whom? The, imp the limits on implants are going to be set by ethical arguments rather than scientific capacity. Really? So now the trust the science crowd is going, forget about the science. Just listen to the people in their stakeholders' positions and their ethical arguments. Oh, so just listen to what your betters tell you. So now it went from trust the science to trust the, trust the I guess, political experts. That's pretty crazy. So the owner of the, the Raytheon company and the, the Exxon, and these big stakeholder capitalists are going to step in and go, here's what's ethical because they know. I mean, it's incredibly, it's a very sharp whiplash type change, isn't it? Scientific capacity is right now what they're telling you is exactly what we should be listening to. Should you implant the tracking chip in your child? They ask. They literally say there are solid, rational reasons for it, like safety. Would you actually do it? Is it a, bat, a bridge too far? Well, the point is their argument is, well, you put a chip in your dog, don't you? Well, that's not a fair argument. A child is different than a dog. And the idea that you're putting a chip inside of a child that you haven't even flushed out to see is dangerous or not. Like, why don't we see this happening for two years on a study and find out if there's any radiation problems or any sickness that comes along with it or any technological things that we don't understand yet? Nah. Just push it on people because it's the right thing to do because we morally say so. Microchipping your children. Ethics should not be preached from an academic ivory tower. Again, so it shouldn't be about research. Rather, overarching or independent institutions should guide policymakers. So, I mean, guys, they're coming right out and saying it now. You should listen to the people that are rich and powerful. The oligarchy should be leading discussions, not academic, not, not even, not scientific discovery, what, what's the word they used? Not scientific capacity, not academia, but independent institutions. That's what the World Economic Forum is saying because they believe their high-minded perception and perspectives of the world are, are going to guide your life whether you like it or not. You just can't miss it. It's not even undertones. This is on the surface. Finally, it says, when do we enter the gray zone? You know, ethically. It says, well, ethics will advise us. Oh, you mean the ethics that you're deciding? <laughs> Great. So the same people deciding the ethics will then tell you when those ethics have been crossed. We investigate ourselves. We find ourselves not guilty. How that works out. It goes hand in hand with an evolution from healthcare, again, to what Klaus Schwab said, from healthcare to well care. Just changing the definition in real time. And you don't get to pick it. Welcome to your new normal. Oh, and taking a quick step back into the previous discussion. Here is the CEO of Pfizer with an interesting crossover into COVID-19 land discussing a new ingestible pills that have little microchips in them that can track whether or not you've taken what you're supposed to take. It is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, uh, compliance. Uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field. Now, you could argue that they're talking about, you know, schizophrenics, which is ultimately what the conversation was around. People that are, you know, mentally incapacitated and you have to make sure they take their medications. But are we never pretend like that couldn't be abused? And then historically, whether literally everything that's been could be abused has ultimately ended up being abused. <laughs> We're not children, guys. We can see what they've done. We can see how many times they go, we'll never do that. And then literally do that over and over and over and over all the time, every time.
I just don't know why we can't come to grips with that. It's not left or right. It's your government over and over. And here we are where they're rationalizing the exact same thing. Now, how long until the unvaccinated become the very people that we're not mentally sound because of our choices? So we have to make sure they take their digestible pill or the time-released vaccination or whatever else this becomes, self-spreading or so on. We've seen that these are not hypothetical. These are published documents and what they're discussing. And here we are again with the bioethics discussion going, well, if we're going to do it, we should do it without their dumb no, no, I mean, or without these people who we think are too stupid knowing that it's happening. That's the, that's the sentiment here. You don't understand what's right, so we're going to do it without your knowledge because it's the right thing to do. That same argument is being made for what they're doing around climate change, what they're doing around their biosecurity state, for everything else, guys. You can't miss how obvious this is. So here is the prophet, as they call him, Yuvar, uh, Harar, uh, um, Harari, uh, Yuvar, yeah, Yuval, Yuval Harari, telling you, the majority of the population in the early 21st century, we just don't need them anymore. That's interesting. That This really does nod to the idea of the depopulation discussion, but you can decide for yourself. In the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century, what humanity basically learned to produce was all kinds of stuff, like textiles and shoes and weapons and, and vehicles. And this was enough for very few countries that underwent the revolution fast enough to subjugate everybody else. What we're talking about now is like a second industrial revolution. That's a really important point, right? So the idea being that they're aware of history and the idea that the people that were able to get to that point faster than anybody else were able to subjugate everybody else. So who's the biggest subjugator occupier today? In my opinion, the U.S. government. But it's bigger than that. We can see... The same agenda being carried out from supranational organizations, from multinational groups, and the idea being that there are these people that have been constantly, through NATO, the UN, who have been the ones occupying, the ones ignoring what's happening in Yemen and Palestine and everywhere else. So these are the people driving in this next step. Now, if what we understand from history is correct, meaning that they once they get there before anybody else, they can then turn around and subjugate everybody else, and we see them doing that right now, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to subjugate all their bad guy enemies that aren't actually bad guy anything, just people that think differently than them. And we see that happening in real time. I wonder what's going to happen next. But the product this time will not be textiles or machines or vehicles or even weapons. The product this time will be humans themselves. We are basically learning to produce bodies and minds. Bodies and minds are going to be, I think, the two main products of the next wave of all these uh, uh, changes. And if there is a gap between those that know to produce bodies and minds and those that do not, then this is far greater than anything we saw before in, in history. And this time, if you're not part of the revolution fast enough, then you probably become, become extinct. Once you know how to produce bodies and brains and minds, so cheap labor in Africa or South Asia or wherever, it, it simply counts for nothing. Again, I think that the biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people. I don't think we have an economic model to, for that. My best guess, which is just a guess, is that uh, food will not be a problem. Uh, with that kind of technology, you will be able to produce food for, to feed everybody. The problem. We already have more than enough capability to do that now. 
That's not a problem. We throw away enough food in this country alone every year to feed the rest of the planet. It's an illusion, just like what they're creating and justification for why most of these people will be useless. Only in the world they're building. Is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life? Because meaning has been taken away from you, not because it just went away. When they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games. Great. So drugs and computer games. That's his prediction. And here he is speaking on the mortality that they're creating, or the idea of immortality. That the, the latest human quest is immortality and divinity. We're all trying to be superhumans. Is, is that actually happening? Yes. In places like Silicon Valley, uh, equality is out, but immortality is in. Everybody's talking about immortality. Uh, Google has just established two or three years ago a subcompany called Calico, whose stated aim is to solve the problem of death. We've solved search, now we'll solve death. And they are not the only. And don't forget, even if they do reach something that's arguably in that direction, you don't get that. You're not going to be able to afford that. It's going to be for the elitists and their high. And it's, it's going to be something that's given. I mean, first of all, if they're concerned about overpopulation or concerned about anything, resources, the last thing they want to do is stop everybody from dying. It's going to be about the people that they argue are the capitalist stakeholders that have control and they're the, the altruistic leaders who have to make sure they live forever. It'll become some, it'll become immortality, it'll become the divine right to rule, which is exactly what they already think they have. That's crazy. Only ones. And basically, they are saying death is not some metaphysical phenomenon. We don't have to wait for the second coming of Christ in order to solve it. Uh, a couple of geeks in the laboratory can do it. Are they doing it? Yeah, they are investing billions in that. Uh, not only them, but all over the world. Basically, there are three ways. You can use biological engineering to change the, the, the human body, to speed up natural selection. Now, you know who else was doing this? Jeffrey Epstein in wildly high amounts all around trying to invest in this exact technology because usually people that are scared of where they're going might want to try to live forever. Just a thought. You can use cyborg engineering, which is combining organic with inorganic parts, and you can create completely inorganic life forms. It will be the, not only the greatest revolution in history, it will be the greatest revolution in biology ever. Will we still be human? Not in the sense that we understand humanity today. Yeah. Welcome to your new normal. This is what they're talking about happening now. The fourth industrial revolution. Now, Bernie's tweets also points out that the World Economic Forum has announced it's recruited hundreds of thousands of information warriors to control the Internet, poli policing social media and forums for, quote, misinformation and conspiracies, which will then be shut down. You will only know what you want, what they want you to know. Now, this is from News Punch. The point is simply that if these groups, unelected and otherwise, are controlling the flow of information from a high level, and so too are your governments and the corporate media and everything else, you're watching a lockstep agenda to control this into this direction. You don't get a choice. You never had a choice. The illusion is being destroyed in real time. It's just a question of whether you will allow yourself to see it. Finally, here's an Australian senator, Malcolm Roberts, telling you what he believes Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset is creating. And I want you guys to consider this on the way out. The reality, what I think, is something that has nothing to do with what's right for you, your health, your security, your comfort. Don't listen to me. Look at the information. Come to your own conclusions. I just personally don't understand how anybody can see what we've looked over today and walk away thinking, at the very least, what they're telling you they want to do is what they want to do. I think it's transparently not the case. But please think for yourselves.
I love you all. As always, question everything. Make sure I grab that before I go. Oh, yeah, here we go. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. If this parliament gets it wrong, everyday Australians will suffer through inflation or worse, stagflation for decades. And instead of working together to push Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum plan based on United Nations policies, work together instead for our country. Klaus Schwab's life by subscription, quote, is really serfdom, it's slavery. Billionaire globalist corporations will own everything, homes, factories, farms, cars, furniture, and everyday citizens will rent what they need, if their social credit score allows. The plan of the Great Reset is that you will die with nothing. To pull off this evil plan, Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum will need to take more than just material possessions from Australians. Senators in this very chamber today who support the Great Reset threaten our privacy, freedom and dignity. Yes, they're in this Senate chamber. One Nation vehemently opposes the Great Reset, the Digital Identity Bill, theft of agricultural land use, forcing farmers off their land, and all of the Great Reset. One Nation has a comprehensive plan to bring our beautiful country back to sustainable prosperity. And in the months ahead, we will be rolling that plan out. Instead of Lib Lab pushing Klaus Schwab's Great Reset with the tagline, you will own nothing and be happy, One Nation advocates the great resist. We stand for a world where individuals and communities have primacy over predatory globalist billionaires and their quizzling bureaucrats, politicians and mouthpiece media. One Nation accepts the challenge to provide a better future for everyday Australians. We have one flag, we are one community and we are one nation.